It's a five-star podcast. Because we do it. What's real? What's up, everybody? Welcome back. It is episode 111 of the What's Real podcast. I am your host, Ed Demko, along with my tag team championship partner in podcasting, the J himself, Jared Bajoris. What's going on, the J? With the return of Stone Cold Steve Austin at this year's WrestleMania in Texas. Hey, Ed. Oh, hell yeah. The What's Real podcast, Triple Uno Extravaganza, the 111. We've made it here. It's amazing. And as you can tell, your boy, the J, is as pumped, as pumped, as a matter of fact, as Jesse Ventura, the body himself, straight from Predator. The J ain't got no time to bleed this week. Hey, I am ready for war for the Thursday Night Prime segment. Still healing my scar from a couple weeks ago with the Ninja Star. So much stuff to cover, though, not just Thursday Night Prime. But that's how ready I am, hey, and that's how pumped the J is for the Triple One. Absolutely. And speaking of Thursday Night Prime this week, uh, we have a pretty good one. It's from 1994. We're going to be talking Red Sun Rising with none other than Don the Dragon Wilson. Uh, also, it's a it's a wrestling heavy show, but in a different kind of way than you might expect. Uh, we're going to start doing, uh, you know, leading up to WrestleMania here, some stuff associated with it. And of course, this week, we're going to take a look at a documentary that's been out for a couple years. It's available on Peacock right now, according to the WWE Network. Uh, it is the story of WrestleMania. Uh, and also, that's not it. Uh, the world of wrestling will intersect with the world of video games this week as we take a look at the history of professional wrestling video games. So that's something a little different here for us on the What's Real podcast. So we got a lot of stuff to talk about this week. So let's just get into it. The J. Uh, probably the biggest news in the world of football since we last recorded, all about Deshaun Watson, controversial quarterback now of the Cleveland Browns. Um, he signed a five-year deal worth $239 million, which every dollar is guaranteed. And there's also the seeming breakup of Baker Mayfield uh, on the team. He does not want to play there anymore. Uh, has asked for a trade. They've jumbled around the quarterbacks. I don't know if you've seen all this stuff. The Jay they they traded Case Keenum uh, to Buffalo. They signed Jacoby Brissett to come in as well. Um, they got someone else too, I believe, but I, I'm not aware of who that was. I'm sure it's like a third stringer. And it looks like Baker Mayfield's going to be moved or cut in some way. Um, so at this point, Aaron Rodgers was probably the highest paid player in the NFL for approximately two months, if that. Uh, yeah, definitely not even that. And, uh, you know, the AFC North has seemingly got a little bit stronger as far as quarterbacks go uh, with Deshaun Watson. Uh, I don't think, however, that the Browns are in a good spot otherwise. Uh, a lot of people might be surprised by that. It's, I'm telling you, the Browns are still the Browns. Uh, don't forget that. No matter how good Deshaun Watson ends up being, there's a lot of other things that could go wrong there. But the J, a lot of disarray in Cleveland in what should be like one of their most celebrated moments in, in quite some time. Look, we broke it down. Anybody, any team franchise that was going to pick up Deshaun Watson uh, from Houston was going to have to go all in. We knew that, you know, we, we broke down the, the dynamics of it, all the logistics, the money. And that's the big thing. Hey, Ed, as you know, 230 million buckos. So, so yeah, I mean, they have to go all in on him. I mean, you're, you're right. It, it's Cleveland's Cleveland, but on the other side, I'll throw the, the opposite side to your Al 
here on the What's Roll podcast, where they do got a pretty strong offense with Deshaun Watson, barring the fact that he comes back to how he was before all the off-field issues, which, again, that's an up-in-the-air thing, too. Uh, I don't foresee that. I, I see him coming back as one of the better quarterbacks in the league. But, you know, obviously that's something we have to see. He had some time off. That can help health-wise. But as far as getting your reps and things like that, you know, he could have some growing pains in Cleveland. It's a new atmosphere and well, environment. Dude, the, the big issue here is, of course, Cleveland, we know already, has a really good running game. Yeah, that's what I was going to uh, go on to say. Yeah, the running game's good, some decent receivers, and a decent defense. Well, no, no. So Here's the thing. They have Amari Cooper. That's it. Yeah, good point. I, like, no more OBJ. Jarvis Landry's gone. He might be coming back, but so far he's gone. Like, they don't have a lot of receiver talent there. And my point with this is kind of like, so you guys got Deshaun Watson to be a game manager running quarterback? Like, no. Yeah, that's a contradiction. Um, Guys are going to want to go there to play with Watson, I think. You know, receivers. At least some receiver would want to go there. Uh, They could even get Will Fuller, who was – he's a free agent. He played for Miami, but he also played with Watson in Houston. Uh, So there is that. But, you know, the thing is with this team is there's a lot of question marks. Um, Their defense probably – you know, they they don't have Jadavian Clowney back yet. They might get him back, but – I mean, their defense to me wasn't world-class last year. Um, and then throw the other thing in there. Not only is the AFC loaded, the AFC North is loaded. Uh, Cincinnati, their offensive line has got significantly better since the Super Bowl. They've, they've refilled three of those positions. Uh, Pittsburgh, although the quarterback situation is a mystery, their offensive line, I believe, has been solidified. And their defense is... I would venture to say the best in the league right now. I'd be willing to say that right now. The Raiders are close because they're going to have a ridiculous pass rush. But, dude, the AFC North, and the oddly enough here, and this is weird to say this about the North to Jay, the Ravens might be the odd man out this year because I don't think they've done enough to get better and every other team has. I agree. Yeah, they haven't made a lot of too many moves yet. You know, a couple – I think we talked about a few a couple yet last week but yeah not nothing major so yeah that that is crazy the power shift of the nfl just within the offseason coming from this past season and like you said i mean you got cincinnati is the defending afc champions and went to the super bowl and competed and, and you have pittsburgh that's had a really good offseason so yeah the browns are you know you, you mentioned the question mark and mystery thing because of course the steelers quarterback isn't a mystery specifically with trubisky the mystery i know you, as you were alluding to is going to be how he fits in and how he performs but nonetheless you know a, a lot of better moves in my opinion than cleveland and, and my point to that is cleveland is just a bunch of question marks and going in with you know all this you know mainly with the quarterback talk uh, i'm sure you saw yesterday he had uh the the falcons uh sent veteran quarterback matt ryan to the colts so the, yep. the colts uh position is obviously filled now as far as baker mayfield's concerned and then the saints <laughs> who are also finalists in the watson's uh, sweepstakes don't appear to be an option um or aren't an option now in the team where he signed quarterback Jameis winston and Atlanta also has another quarterback. They've re-signed. They are not re-signed, but they signed Marcus Mariota. Right. They're the ones um, that picked up Mariota. So, you know, there's been a – and, you know, Winston with the Saints makes sense. Uh, he didn't really get a fair shake there to begin with because he got hurt. So it's like, yeah, I, I see why they would go out to pay him. Also, I can see why the Steelers didn't. 
as soon as I seen what he signed for him, like they weren't going to pay somebody like him twelve million per. Right. Uh, that wasn't happening. Um, so like I see why they went with Trubisky. I, I think that if a quarterback falls to them in the first round, they're probably going to draft them. But I think that you know if a Jordan Davis is there, they're probably going to go that way and and wait on the quarterback. Uh, I wanted to get your opinion on this. I don't know if you've seen this or not. Um, but you know how um, uh, Devontae Adams, right? He he went to the Packers. I mean, uh, went to the Raiders from the Packers. Did you hear the story of what happened there? No. So the word is that the Packers matched the deal that the Raiders uh, put in front of him. And he said, I'm going to go to the Raiders because he played in college with Derek Carr. Um, They're friends to this day. Um, But I also think that that's another guy that like is like, not only am I getting paid, but like I'm done with Rodgers. Like I'm done with the fucking circus up here. I'm going to stay in Vegas compared to Green Bay. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. I think that's a good decision for for Devontae. And, you know, the Ravens are one of those teams, you know, we, we reference our, our power rankings just to kind of see how things were on the What's Real podcast opinion from week to week. I mean, that's why we do that. And, and it's a good indicator of, of what's going on in the league. And the Raiders were, were another one of those teams that had potential. And and like you were saying, man, they with the defense they're going to have, uh, Derek Carr, Josh quarterback. New coach. Yeah, new coach. So um, they, they could be a, a potential team there that could come up this year that wasn't uh, in the playoffs last year, but they were in the hunt. So uh, a lot of interesting things. And that's why we like talking about uh, the NFL this far from the season, because man, the free agency anymore in this modern era is just crazy with all the trading. And this is pre-draft, you know, cause we, we yeah. talked about the Panthers needing a quarterback. So, you know, I was reading some things about if the Panthers might pursue Mayfield, but of course they could shift their focus to other top quarterback prospects in the draft without the draft happening, happening yet. And that could be something depending on who's available, they could pick a, a young quarterback who they're going to go with and, and Mayfield might be left in the lurch there too. And I also think that the, uh, the Marcus Mariota deal with Atlanta trading away, Matt Ryan, they took a $40.5 million cap hit trading Ryan uh, away. It's the largest in NFL history. Yeah, that's a, that's high. Uh, and, them signing Mariota says to me that they're going to draft a quarterback. Yep, good call. Uh, I, for some reason, I don't know why, uh, but I've seen Kenny Pickett go in there this whole time. That That's the team that I felt Pickett was going to go to. I thought maybe the Saints would be a possibility for Pickett too, but I don't think that's going to be the case uh, with them. But I do think that it, you know any quarterback that was signed to a two-year deal, that team may draft a quarterback. Otherwise, they would have signed longer deals with these guys. And they mainly signed guys that, that are kind of unproven or maybe had some, some previous success but didn't make it somewhere. So they're really, you know, going all over the place with this stuff. But, like, yeah, free agency in the NFL is completely exploded. And speaking of which, hey, Ed, you set them up, I knock them down because it's something we actually haven't talked about off air. And we haven't talked about it because it didn't occur the, since the last time we recorded. So throw in your thoughts, uh, which I am interested in hearing, on Juju leaving Pittsburgh and heading over to Kansas City. Well, I didn't blame him for going at first, right? I saw that he signed a one-year deal for a little over $10 million. And I'm like, okay, you know, I get it. Uh, but then there's been some further stuff to come out. Like I saw Juju's mom apparently was posting stuff on Instagram. I was just like reading Juju that. wanted to come back to Pittsburgh, but they didn't want him. And then I heard even more. Like, I don't know if I told you about this. Have I told you that I found out that a lot of these deals are not as reported? 
No. Have I told you anything about that? Okay. So the the Devontae Adams deal, right? It was reported as five years, like $154 million. That's not the true contract. The true contract is really like a three-year, $67 million deal. Um, the other stuff is incentives and things that like he's not likely to do. It's like if they go to the AFC Championship and win, he gets a bonus. Like, gotcha. Yeah, we're, we we're kind of alluding that. to that last week where, like you said, you're like, you know, they, they restructure these deals now with, with so many varying things. Like, it's so different here in 2022 with how they do that. So that's how Juju's deal is. Dude, listen to this. And, and this gives credence, and, and I'm not, you know, this is nothing against the Steelers. I think I see what they're getting at, and I'll explain that too. Um, Juju's deal minus the incentives is a $2.5 million deal for a 25-year-old wide receiver. So it's all incentives and basically to, to play with Patrick Mahomes and KC and with a contender. Yes. And, dude, here's a major issue that I don't know if you've thought about. So I, I like Juju. I, I thought that he fit our offense well. I did want him to come back. But the Steelers weren't willing to pay more than Kansas City. And I don't blame them. And because they already have the the reputation for being able to draft and develop wide receivers very well. There's not many teams in the NFL that do as good of a job as that as the Steelers. Um, but dude, this is a really big mistake, not just on him, but on Kansas City. So I understand him wanting to go play with Mahomes and stuff like that. And I understand them, but you know, well, actually, I don't understand them getting Juju. He's not fast enough for their offense. They don't use any player like Juju should be like, or the way that Juju is used. They don't have, they don't need that like gutsy through the middle slot guy because that's what Kelsey does. Or they do that with their running backs. It's a weird signing. And I'll be honest, dude, it wouldn't surprise me at all if we're talking about this, you know, like during our coverage uh, on the show next year and we're like, dude, Juju's barely even playing. Right. Yeah, it's just not the greatest fit. I mean, what do you think? Like, do you think I'm off base on this stuff? Like, I, I don't know how much I mean, you've given I, no, all this, but like, where do you feel? I, I see what you're saying. The only retort that I would have is that possibly he could just bring a unique tangible as we talk about to the offense, maybe, you know, he's a, a different style receiver in their core than uh, hunt, you know, and that, that yeah, kind of gives them some a red, like a red zone receiver. Yeah. And that gives like their that. offense like, some variety. I mean, I don't think have them yeah. have a juju is a bad thing. That's for sure. Yeah. I just don't know how well it's and you, and dude, you know, this as well as I do, right? It's a one year deal. If he goes there and his numbers are kind of like what they've basically been for the last couple of years, it's pretty much granted an official, nobody's going to think he's any good because if you play with Mahomes and you can't put up decent this, numbers, this is his test year. Exactly. Wise, yes. He got it. And dude, they have a one. He, you know, I don't know. And now maybe again, there is a possibility of us seeing that receiver that we saw uh, for him as a rookie, because it's going to be very difficult to cover, you know, Hill and Kelsey and you know what I mean? Like they, they, they have some big boys out there that you have to account for. And that's when Juju originally shined, but he only did that for one year and it was in our offense and our offense is absolutely nothing like Kansas city with Andy Reid. Yeah, that's a great point. And 
again, that's why a lot of these different moves, because there's been so many of them already, a lot more to go on. And as I said, this is pre-draft. We get to see, you know, who gets drafted as well to some of these teams and gets filtered in. So very interesting offseason. And that's where we're at in, in the NFL uh, right now is just, it's just, again, we, we talked about it last week. It's it's the number one sport financially as far as revenue and things like that. You're just seeing the money thrown around and guys trying to make different moves for their careers here. And this move for uh, Juju is a perfect example of that. And, and like we're breaking down, this is a big test year from him for him. And speaking of all this, and especially with being in the receiver talk, a lot of rumors breaking today were that Julian Edelman has been seen training with Tom Brady. And of course, that's sparking a lot of speculation in Tampa Bay. What, that he's going to come out of retirement to play there? Yeah, but at this point, it's all uh, speculation. But nonetheless, Tom Brady, Edelman, you know, so uh, just it just adds to kind of the point I was making, kind of surmising all these moves were breaking down is just, yeah, how crazy things are right now in the NFL offseason. And dude, I had, I had one more question for you because I saw some people talking about this and I thought it, it would be pretty interesting to bring up here on the show. Um, but I've seen people comparing what Deshaun Watson was able to do, like getting out of Houston, getting this contract, you know, things like that. Uh, kind of like to the NBA. And they were saying, is this like the first big uh, piece to move to kind of show everybody that like the league's on its way to becoming like another NBA where like players are going to be like, hey, let's all go play for the Raiders. And like they can go do that because they they have the ability and the power to force themselves out of the position that they're currently in. You know what? I, I remember this. We kind of talked about this briefly before and I had said that's that there's a huge difference between an NFL team doing that and an NBA team. An NBA team has five starters. You know, and you could load up your team. And they're a bigger percentage, yeah. But that's true. again, you're talking about eleven offensive players, eleven defensive players and special teams in the NFL. So yeah, there's a, a gaggle of guys that can can go to load up a team, but still, man, that's again, you're talking about twenty two different starters as opposed to five. I think that's the big difference yeah. between you know trying to create a super team in the NFL. But to your point, this is kind of a different era of kind of what we're dissecting here. And, and Deshaun Watson's situation is definitely leading the charge in that. Yeah, I mean, because, dude, the NFL has so much parity that we always talk about whenever we're covering it and stuff that, like, that they can't lose that. That's why it's it, it does so Right, well. it's, it's, it's so fun to general. watch. Yes, because it's like, you know, there might be, like, you know, when you're talking like week five or six of the season, I mean, for Christ's sake, the Dolphins this last year started the season one and seven. And Went on that run. The playoffs yeah. They, yeah, they won out. So it's like, you know, that can happen. But like, dude, you know, really like when are teams out of it? You know, like you could be watching baseball in June and your team is like, yeah, we ain't, there's no way. Well, we, We're way, we, way we know that all way. too well. Hey, <laughs> exactly. But in the NFL, your team's pretty much in it unless, you know, like you're a Lions fan. <laughs> Unfortunately, Unfortunately. yeah, there's there's those teams that poor people, Christ. And as we know, being that we tied them this year, (laughs) any any given Sunday. Yes, ain't that the truth? But uh, but yeah, that's uh, pretty much our coverage here of uh, some some major NFL stuff. So I hope you guys enjoyed that because you know gotta gotta do our updates here on the show every once in a while. Lots of stuff going on. Let's let's move over now to the world of professional wrestling. So AEW's Revolution pay-per-view that we reviewed here on the pod just a couple of weeks ago uh, is the second most successful pay-per-view in AEW history. So 
this is uh, all according to a, an article on Wrestle Talk. In the age of streaming services, pay-per-view buys are much lower and therefore less important than they once were, but they're still a good metric to judge how successful a show is. As a result, it looks as though the March 6th AEW Revolution pay-per-view was the second most successful AEW pay-per-view of all time, at least in terms of pay-per-view buys. Uh, speaking on the latest Wrestling Observer newsletter uh, or Wrestling Observer Radio, Dave Meltzer gave a rundown of the latest numbers. He said real big buys uh, or real big late buys. So the number we talked about last week, it's probably very low uh, compared to what the real number is going to be. What I have seen of the systems I have the actual numbers for is it's up 14 percent from the last time I talked about it, which is a pretty big up. And that's as of this weekend. Uh, easily number two now before it was like, it's probably number two, but not necessarily now yet number two and probably minimum, um, minimum of 165, uh, to 170,000 in that range, real big number, real successful. So AEW's biggest show of all time, of course, in terms of pay-per-view buys was all out 2021, which saw 205,000 people purchase the show. So I know that it's not what it used to be as far as pay-per-view buys and revenue go, the J, but like these numbers to me are right there in what WWE was doing uh, over the last few years that they were actually solely on pay-per-view. Great news for AEW. And as we've been discussing, this goes into the category in the column of great news for us wrestling fans because we have a legitimate alternative that is growing at an exponential rate. And that's what these numbers say. And that's why this was cool to see because, again, they've had some really good pay-per-views uh, and this being the most recent one hitting its most you know successful uh, runner-up of all time. You know, to one that was like very early on when like all the curiosity was there and all that with All Out 21, you know, so uh, it's a very good sign for AEW and its growth. And, and like I said, and, and like we've been discussing, pro, pro wrestling with the WWE product did not have a legitimate competition uh, situation for almost 20 years. So look look at all the stuff that we've been talking about from week to week for the last couple of years with the growth and e e evolution of AEW to the point now where everybody's talking about who's going to jump to what show. I mean, this is helping the WWE too. Absolutely. You know how that works, man. When the business starts booming or doing well, it's good for everybody. So it's, dude, you know, it's no surprise though, because we used to talk about this for a long time. Uh, you know, like when WWE was the only company, mainstream company out there, um, we were like, dude, there's not going to be another uh, competition to them in any capacity and, unless another really, really, really rich guy gets into the game. And that's the Khan family. So um, good for them. You know what I mean? It's only and it's weird because this kind of stuff like we've talked about this on the show before, it causes so much dissension, especially amongst fans online you know, the, the WWE fans or the AEW only fans and stuff like that. It's like, it, you know, it, guys, it's wrestling. But you know what? Like, as much as you and I hate that we're, with where we're at, as we always discuss as wrestling fans and how we see the business, it's also a good thing for wrestling. Social media is so big nowadays, yeah. obviously, and it gets the hashtags. It gets the, the yep. you know, the talking. It gets all the, the clickbait stuff and, and it puts professional wrestling in a limelight. As stupid as it is, yeah. you know. No, I mean, that's, I just sit back and right. watch. You know how that is. Yeah, that's pretty much how I feel about it for the most part. So it's it's more fun stuff for us to watch. So I'm not going to complain about that. Anyway, sorry. 
Uh, I almost just fell asleep. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> That's the first time in 111 episodes we had that kind of dead air. <laughs> Jeez. I was trying to, but I'm like, I, I, I basically tried not to make a really disgusting noise into the microphone. <laughs> That's I, 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 yeah, I thought you were drinking. I didn't want to say anything. <laughs> no. Back no, on track, no, hey. Like, anyway, still in the world of professional wrestling. Um, I don't really care about this, but it, I, I, like I could see why people are ripping their hair out of their heads because they really do. Um, but once again, uh, as of this week, Seth Rollins was unable to get himself a match at WWE WrestleMania, but he promises that he will make it happen next week. Of course, it's been rumored for weeks that it was going to be Cody Rhodes as his WrestleMania opponent. And it seems like that's going to be the way as of right now. Um, but boy, they really are milking this. And the funny thing is, word is that Cody Rhodes, if he does have a match with uh, Seth Rollins at WrestleMania, we're not going to see Cody until WrestleMania, which is totally a WWE thing. Uh, I saw a couple of people talking about this on Twitter uh, Monday night, and they were like, ah, yes, WWE, kings of intentional disappointment. <laughs> Yeah, could you could you believe they have not one, which is bad enough, but two of their, you know, in their prime main roster guys in Seth Rollins and Kevin Owens that both have we can't get WrestleMania match gimmicks here at the road Dude, to WrestleMania 2022. That's like, and I don't know if you realize this or not, but that's been like a running theme now for like a few years. Where like there's always the one per like I remember one year it was like Shane, it's like oh who's Shane gonna wrestle with me because he was yeah and he has to go through all these different it. matches to get qualified yes and, and then uh, of course AJ did it with Taker, um like you know like I want to fight him and he's just not responding like they're doing that kind of shit like every year now there's that person that's like I ain't doing shit for WrestleMania and this is ridiculous and they it's like a month two month long running tv angle that is just terrible yeah it's just ridiculous but i mean we'll, we'll see I, obviously that that should be a good match on the big stage if it does come to full fruition between cody and seth rollins so i'm interested in that as a fan for sure but as usual and and again we call a spade a spade man like i that's one thing just to go in full circle with the flow of the show you were bringing up the social media aew guys feuding with the WWE guys and everybody going at it on Twitter and everything. This is one, because yeah. I'll, I'll point out what I like about WWE. I'll point out what I don't like about WWE, vice versa with AEW. This is one I would say to a, one of the WWE guys that, that sticks up for everything they do. What the hell is any sort of inkling of a positive with the storylines between Rollins and Kevin Owens like vying for Mania matches? Well, and now Kevin Owens one's fleshed out with Austin, fine. But but still, it's just, you know, with Cody just coming straight to Mania, like you said, and this kind of build up with Rollins finally finds his way for a, to a mystery opponent or some shit like it just could be so much better, in my opinion. Well, dude, how's this for funny, right? Um, we don't know who Rollins like on. I'm talking WWE TV like we don't know who Rollins opponent at WrestleMania is right now. OK, um, and we do know what Owens is doing. Or I'm sorry, Roll we don't know who Rollins' opponent is. We we do know what Owens is doing. Okay, but like it's the same concurrent angle for. That's different what I reasons. mean, right? So it's like what you have is Seth Rollins is like, I can't get a match for WrestleMania. What's it gonna be? And technically, it's supposed to be Cody Rhodes, but they're not telling you that. And then with Kevin Owens, he's doing the segment with Austin, 
But every week he's coming out and he's cutting promos and shit on Austin because Austin isn't there. There's no one. He has to work with himself to build up a, 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 a non-match. Uh, it's, it's very weird. I always hate that about Mania because the WWE will happily bring somebody in and let them just show up at WrestleMania. It doesn't allow for the proper build. You always get the same thing where it's one guy working a program with himself about another person. And then you get to have the match at Mania. And it's just not, I don't, that's not how I want to see my wrestling. I want to see fucking two people with an issue. That's what I mean. And that's, they, you know, that's what wrestling's built on. And if you're not building up matches like that, frankly, you're doing it wrong. Plan D, hey, Ed, for those unaware, go back to past episodes of the podcast. We explained it numerous times, our theory on WWE's booking slash creative plan D, where they use the most out of nowhere thing that nobody ever thinks of that sucks. Vince McMahon's like, this is going to be the best thing ever. We're going to do Cody Rhodes versus Amos at WrestleMania. Yeah, well, dude, if you remember just a few years ago at WrestleMania, they ran a on the same card, John Cena in the crowd, like, I can't get a match on WrestleMania, and I just want a match. And then you had Braun Strowman, who's like, I'm fighting for the tag titles, and I don't have a partner. And they didn't just make Cena his partner. They decided to do a segment with Cena and Taker, and they had fucking Braun uh, win the tag belts with a 12-year-old <laughs> child plan D. from the crowd. Yeah, plan D. That's plan D. So there you go. But uh, moving away from the world of professional wrestling before we get to take a break here on the show, this was weird, okay? It was weird when it happened, and it's still kind of weird, but you'll see what I'm talking about. There's a drug kingpin, obviously, that targeted David Ortiz in 2019 shooting, uh, according to private investigators. This is through uh, ESPN and the Associated Press. A Dominican drug, drug trafficker who was jealous of David Ortiz and felt disrespected by him, had him shot at a Dominican nightclub in 2019, according to private investigators, the Red Sox slugger hired to look into the attack that nearly killed him. The findings by former Boston Police Commissioner Edward Davis, reported by the Boston Globe on Saturday, uh, contradict the theory of the crime developed by the Dominican prosecutors. Davis told the newspaper that he identified the drug trafficker Cesar Peralta. <laughs> That's my cousin. Yeah as having orchestrated the shooting by placing a bounty on Ortiz and sanctioning the hit squad that tried to kill him. Dominican authorities did not cooperate with the private investigation. Peralta is being held uh, without bail in Puerto Rico on unrelated charges of conspiracy to import cocaine and heroin. The U.S. Treasury designed Peralta uh, a drug kingpin in 2019, and he was extradited to the U.S. territory in December. Uh, Ortiz's spokesperson uh, told The Globe, that David's findings were withheld for Ortiz's safety and Peralta was in U.S. custody. Peralta had not been charged in relation to Ortiz's shooting. Peralta's lawyer, Jacqueline Perez, said Peralta had nothing to do with the attempt on Ortiz's life. Quote, as bad as Cesar Peralta is, it's not even close to being in the ballpark to say that he had something to do with this. Perez described Ortiz and Peralta as close friends. Ortiz told the Globe he knew Peralta only casually and that he was sad, confused, angry, all kinds of emotions when he received the news from Davis and Rick Prado, a former high-ranking CIA official who participated in the inquiry. Dominican authorities have said the target was meant to be Sixto David Fernandez, who was sharing a table with Ortiz when he was shot. Authorities said the hitman confused Fernandez with Ortiz, one of the most popular Dominican ballplayers ever. 
13 people have been charged in relation to Ortiz's shooting and are awaiting trial in the Dominican Republic. Berlin and Ortiz were waiting for further legal action in the, Domin in the Dominican and U.S. courts to bring clarity about why this happened to him. Gets even weirder, doesn't it, the Jay? This is crazy. And just to let those in uh, that are listening to our inside joke there uh, with this guy's name being Cesar Peralta. One of my alter egos was Crow Peralta, a backyard wrestling star. So that's why we're kind of giggling there. Anytime you see Peralta with Crow Peralta, but yeah, this, this is just crazy. You know how I see this. Hey, all this has got to be the next big 30 for 30 throw that in the next season. Cause this would be such yeah. an interesting documentary, dude. You know, it's really weird not to change the subject on you. You just totally remind well, that's me. All, yeah, that's guess, pretty much what I was saying. It's just a crazy story. But guess what they're doing a 30-30 on? What's that? The American Gladiators. Oh, that would be good. Yeah, that's what I thought. I was like, dude, I, I definitely was a fan of American Gladiators back in the day. So, I, you know, I definitely would check that out. But, yeah, I mean, there's... Dude, there's this sounds like somebody might make a movie about or a this movie. That's, yeah. that's that's how fucking convoluted the fact is. that 13 different people for, you know, this whole situation are being charged in relation to it is crazy. And then Ortiz seemingly is just completely honest that he just didn't know why this happened and is, is sincere well, to know why anyone might want him dead, <laughs> you know. Or, or he's just friends with Dominican drug, drug dealers. dealers. Yeah, for real. can't admit like, it. So yeah, but, but yeah, thank thank God. I mean, honestly, I, uh, you know, as we say, no horse in the race. I don't personally know David Ortiz. Uh, I was never a you huge don't? fan of the Red Sox. I, well, You're I know not? you do. I'm just no. saying. I you know me. I never. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm friendly with with big. I was always people, jealous of that, of but the, personally, yeah, I'm not a fan of the Red Sox. Though he knows that. <laughs> yeah, and that's kind of know? my whole point. It's just like I, I, I just uh, my point is just to say I'm I'm glad David Ortiz is alive through all this. I honestly am. <laughs> that's <laughs> yes, I would say so. I I agree with that. So on that note. Uh, we are up against our very first commercial break. And whenever we come back, me and the Jay are going to be talking the history of professional wrestling video games. So stay tuned after this, guys. We'll be back right here on the What's Real podcast. Join us next week for episode 112 of the What's Real podcast. Next week, we will take a look at a full WrestleMania preview, as well as a review of the brand new Jackass Forever. Then it's the return of the original, unoriginal segment right here on the What's Real podcast, Movies That Made Us. Next week's pick is the Jay's pick, Braveheart, the Mel Gibson epic from the 90s. This is Timothy James from the What's Real Podcast, here to promote the 112th episode's Goofther Goof segment where the guys talk about things like Pete Davidson, Yay, the Human Dildo, Jake Paul, Colby Covington, and idiots getting their souls slammed out in Taco Bell. Join us next week for all that and much more on episode 112 of the What's Real Podcast. What up, what up, what up, everybody? It's your boy, The J from the What's Real Podcast. Would you like to advertise on the What's Real Podcast? Hit us up today. We got easy, quick, cheap, and affordable rates, and we have some fun and can do some great ads for you and your bare ass. Hit us up today at whatsrealpod at gmail.com. That's whatsrealpod at gmail.com to advertise on the show of shows today, the Pod Upon Pods. Yeah.
And we're back. And before we went to break, we told you we'd be talking the history of wrestling video games. Uh, basically, especially for us anyways, and it just so happened to be the same time period. Uh, it all got started in the 8-bit era, which would have been known as Nintendo. Um, the first big game that we played was definitely pro wrestling. But even before that, there were a few other ones out there. There was a muscle game, uh, like the old muscle figures. There was like a wrestling game from 1986. Um, you know, they were they did the first Superstars game, or the first WWF game, I believe, was 87. Um, they were coming, like Nintendo came out with Tag Team Pro Wrestling in 1983. That was one that I ended up getting after pro wrestling and i was super excited about it and it was awful um but for me the j it all started with the original pro wrestling that's me as well talk about the rose-colored glasses of nostalgia hey ed but i've mentioned on previous podcasts just a quick refresher the j is a lifelong gamer here in my 40s i've been gaming since i was like six years old with the first nintendo my my cousin was a little bit older he was like a, a kind of older brother like figure growing up because we were so close in age and and pretty close cousins and he garnered me so many of my interests that i myself would pile on as i got older and became more of like a hardcore fan than than even he ever ever did with stuff you, you know me i'm like a collector and everything and have, have pursued independent pro wrestling and independent film and stuff like the jay goes all in hey y'all and it all it all goes back to things like that though which is bringing all that up and my cousin was an atari dude and i remember i wanted an, an atari uh, when i was real little after playing it and my cousin gave me the heads up even back then to that he he knew about nintendo so i asked for nintendo and i was lucky enough to get one and that whole point is, dude, it's just, you know, talk about memories. It just brings me all the way back to being six years old. And I mentioned as well, too, and I won't diatribe, on finding professional wrestling here and there, but really getting sucked in when I was like 12 years old in 1992, as we always discuss. So I was huge into the pro wrestling Nintendo video game just from being a video gamer and just loving this game. I wasn't even a big professional wrestling fan yeah. at the time. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, dude, I always wanted a game at that point with, like, real wrestlers. But the thing is, so this game is pretty cool. There was, uh, just to get into it, some of the characters from the game. You had King Slender. Yeah. You had Fighter Hayabusa. You had the Amazon, who was, like, a gill man. Uh, the champion of the Video Wrestling Association was Great Puma. And without question. Everybody's favorite. <laughs> yeah, everybody's favorite. The number one dude. And I liked Amazon. I was a fan of Amazon because he was the one dude that could like. Bite yeah, he was like the, the big time heel. And King Slender kind of reminded me of like if Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair were the same guy, yeah. it would be King Slender. But Starman is the one that we're talking about. The the man with the mask. Um, dude, that might be legitimately the first time I ever encountered a masked wrestler in any oh, capacity yeah. because that wasn't a big deal in, in uh, you know, like American wrestling at the time. I mean, I, I might have seen some other things, but it's so, but I'm talking about like, you know, like the machines I remember. That was like a weird gimmick. This was like someone that like you didn't know who Starman was ever. Um, he did this fucking roundhouse flipping kick. Yeah, that was his finisher. Was his finisher. I think that's why everybody loved him, his look and his finisher. Absolutely. So, and, and the thing is, 
there was only one way to play this game. You basically picked a wrestler and went to challenge the entire roster on the game, and you would try and win the belt from Great Puma and then defend it. Uh, that was the the thing. But of course, uh, and man, I'm telling you, the Jay, if this doesn't sum up our generation like a motherfucker, I don't know what does. So Nintendo games in general were increasingly hard, <laughs> yeah. like really, really hard. Okay. And now I'm not saying that you couldn't beat these games. There was, I'll be honest with you as a kid, the Jay, and I, I'm pretty sure you're the same way too. Most of the games that you owned, you never beat. You did beat games, but most of them, you never even Main, got close. Mainly, remember the main factor within that is this is the prehistoric era of video games and, and just like their inclination evolving from Pong. And like I mentioned, Atari, like Nintendo was the next evolution, but you're still talking mid 80s here. And with that was no saving. So kids of nowadays yes. would have no idea, but you could not save your progress. That was the biggest yep. thing. Like I think back to my Nintendo gaming and it's just amazing that we didn't get frustrated and and we did. You know, Nintendo gamers of our generation growing up in the 80s were known to smash controllers. I've had, you know, like I mentioned my cousin, like some of his crazy friends like breaking their Nintendos, you know, because it was frustrating. Yep. Like you said, it was hard and you couldn't save, yep. but that was the biggest thing, man, because, you know, it, it says in our reference article, and as we always shout out, uh, IGN.com on IGN presents the history of wrestling games using as as one of our references and and they mentioned that nintendo's pro wrestling was far from flawless cheap power slamming moves abounded the standard roundhouse kick was nearly undefeatable which i remember that you could kind of cheat with that yep. a few wrestlers fought like coma victims and and this is what i was talking about one loss could set a player's progress back hours yeah and dude and this is why i said this sums up our generation and it's not a good thing so you you manage to do this, right? You you pin Great Puma, you you become the champion, and what do you get for beating the game? A screen that comes up that says a winner is you. <laughs> That's it. So yeah, we we're used to doing a lot of work uh, in the world in our in our generation for nothing. <laughs> so. At, as evidenced by some of the other ventures that me and the Jay have taken in the past, it happens. Um, but, you know, I guess that all started with our days of playing pro wrestling. But it would it would eventually morph, of course, because, you know, video games were getting to be really big, okay? And, you know, there was a few other wrestling titles that came out through the years. Konami's The Main Event and Sega's Robo Rest 2001. Two games that, by the way, I was familiar with, but I never played either one I was going to say, I, yeah, I knew of them being a gaming geek, but did not play either one um, also. Hail. Now, the one that I wanted to get into, the J, and I wanted to see, because I'm sure we have at some point, but I don't know how much we've gotten into this. So, uh, Tecmo World Wrestling followed Tecmo Bowl's success without matching it. Though it did add reverses to the holds, color commentators, and a strange training mode run by a female taskmaster that presentably leveled up your wrestler through button mashing push-ups. That effect seemed fairly negligible. Part of the problem with that was by 1988, wrestling fans had their favorites all picked out. They knew the WWF inside and out and religiously followed the damage week to week on television, but they weren't seeing their favorites on any console. But the reason why I, would, I, was, I wanted to bring this up, did you ever play the Tecmo World Wrestling? Because I got this one year for Christmas, dude, and I... Love this game. Okay, no, no, that's one I missed. 
Surprisingly. So the, one, of the, one of the things that I thought was really cool is they had a dude on there. I swear his name was Tiger King or something, but it was like he was like a tiger mask ripoff, but the dude fought in a tiger mask and like uh, Tarzan trunks. But like they had a bunch of Japanese guys on there. Everybody had finishing moves. It had a bunch of dudes. Yeah, that's which was really cool. That's what the reference said. It, was, uh, it added reversals for the first time, color commentators, yep. and the strange training. Irish mode. whips. Like you could you could jump off the top rope. You could put dudes in the corner. Like it was like the things that made Tecmo Bowl great over other football games. Like that weird attention to detail on stuff. Even though they couldn't really have a full out football game at that point. That's what Tecmo World Wrestling was like to me. It was just like, it just had so much other cool stuff that no other game up to that point had. So, like, I love that game. And you're talking about a game that came out after WWF WrestleMania, which I wanted to go back to that, obviously. But, like, dude, WWF WrestleMania was a horrible fucking game. Horrible. Yeah, I barely remembered that. I remember my cousin, because that was back at the time we first started renting games as well, towards the late yes. 80s. You know, you could rent games, which was awesome. And I have all those, you know, this is a walk down memory lane for sure for the J. But I remember walking from my pre-fermentioned cousin's house during sleepovers and we'd get a horror movie and a rest in a, in a video game rental. You know, we could walk to the store, you know, as those type of freaking stand by me type moments, you know? And, yeah, and I think we definitely. rent, we rented that before. And I definitely remember it sucking because I, I wanted to mention here too, Hey Ed, with you bringing up like the kind of tiger mask ripoff character, this was like the first time where they kind of started taking homage characters cause they didn't have the rights and stuff, but you kind of knew yes. who they w were, which we'll get into when it goes further on that, that evolves to, to even higher points. But this goes hand in hand at this point where, because so many video games were being de developed in Japan and Japanese wrestling was so big in Japan, which that was like before our era because we didn't have any access to that. So we obviously would fall into Japanese wrestling when we could later in life. But at this point when we were kids and where we're at in the history of wrestling video games, it still goes hand in hand with where Japanese developers were developing the Japanese games. And, and the popularity of wrestling video games raises with that. And of course, goes hand in hand with the, the rise of the popularity of the WWF in the 80s. Mm -hmm. Which leads you to yeah, WWF WrestleMania, the first official WrestleMania, uh, WWE game. I guess the list I have for WWE games has Micro League Wrestling from 87 and then WWF WrestleMania in 89. And the Micro League Wrestling was on Amiga and Commodore 64. Which I was not even aware of. Yeah, so that one that was one of those ones that's just like that rare retro one. But but you know, to to the point at hand, we get to WWF WrestleMania nineteen eighty nine on the NES. And like Hey Ed said, I don't remember too much about it. I definitely remember it sucking. Well, here here's what we got. So of course the big selling point to a wrestling fan in nineteen eighty nine, as he was on the cover of the game, Hulk Hogan appeared in this game. He was, of course, on the cover of the game, ripping his shirt, which, of course, we always would remember that. It also features Honky Talk Man, Andre the Giant, Macho Man Randy Savage, the Million Dollar Ted DiBiase, and Bam Bam Bigelow, oddly enough. Um, but here's the thing that killed this game. they Instead of making a, a cool WWF wrestling game, they made a video game. And now there's you, you would, of course, have matches, but... There were so many things missing from this game, meaning you didn't see entrances, which is 
something that we hadn't seen up to that point anyways, but that was such a big deal with WWF at the time. So that was disappointing. Then you had these weird matches where there would be like, you know, if Macho Man was fighting Ted DiBiase, Ted DiBiase gets these dollar signs that go in the ring and they're like power-ups and stuff. And it was difficult to do moves. Uh, it really, they, nobody had any finishers. So that was also a problem. Very bland. And in and, and a very, very bland game. So uh, it, that was kind of quickly forgotten and pushed off because, of course, in the 1980s, one thing we were used to as kids, the J, was you would see toys and games and things like that come out with major properties like IPs, like WWF stuff, for example, or maybe like a G.I. Joe thing. And you wanted it because you were a fan of wrestling or G.I. Joe, but then you got it and you're like, this sucks. It was a cash in to get people who like WWF to buy it. So the original, uh, one of the original companies that did uh, the uh, arcade games, such as WWF Superstars in 1989, and one that was absolutely life-changing for all of the wrestling fans in my generation in 1991 was the arcade game WrestleFest, the very first game to have entrances. You had music. You had a pretty decent-sized roster. You had Saturday night's main event, Royal Rumble. Much better graphics because uh, it was the arcade at the time. That stood out but, back then. But it was also very cartoony graphics. Right. But it worked, it worked perfectly for the look of what the WWF was at the time. Dude, this game, you know, I was thinking about this. So, you know, like you talk about video games through the years, and, and of course, we're talking about, we're going to be talking about a long time period here. Um, the prices of these games are all over the place, okay? Because they're different eras, right? I probably spent more money playing WrestleFest than any wrestling game <laughs> with I've all those quarters in my life. Absolutely. I mean, there was a bowling alley within walking distance of my house at the time. And me and a couple of friends from the neighborhood would go there and literally just play WrestleFest all night. Yeah. Like that's what we would do. Um, like trying to beat it with every guy, trying to, you know, like everything that you could possibly do. And that was a game that I felt that I played inside and out. And I can only say that like about that, maybe Mortal Kombat and maybe Street Fighter 2 as far as arcade games that I played through and through. Yeah, taking a trip down memory lane to the arcades Hey, uh, and such a, a- Huge part of our childhoods growing up. You know, I know we've talked about it in the past. We're both huge arcade guys. And, you know, with the evolution of where things go and things being so different now and the home consoles being as powerful as they are, and it's just technology. I mean, I have two VR systems, as I say, in my house, you know, so things are different now. That's why this, you know, because this will never go back to it. You know, and you still have the retro arcades and stuff, which is cool, but it's just never going to be the same from when you're kids. And in my specific yep. memory, when when my family would cha- take our yearly trip down to Florida, our yearly family trip down to Florida, as you know that we did, uh, right next to the theater we would go to was the arcade. So that was my childhood uh, memory was going to the arcade, you know, while we were waiting to time going into the whatever movie it was. You know, I particularly remember going to see, um, you know, Batman in 89. And I think the one before WrestleFest superstars was like just coming out, you know? So I remember playing that and going to see Batman, like talk about a, a night for a young, the J, you know, but yeah, again, this, this is a walk down memory lane. It brings back personal memories that I wanted to shout out during this trip as well. But yeah, WrestleFest was just a bona fide classic to us that we, we still talked about it up until a few years ago, you know, basically like remember fucking WrestleFest, man, the arcade. Yeah. 
Absolutely, man. It's one of the best wrestling games of all time, in my opinion. Um, and, dude, this is really bizarre here. Uh, as I'm, I'm kind of following along this article here, um, they skipped over something massive to me in this. Um, and that is WWF WrestleMania Challenge for the Nintendo Entertainment System. I love this game. Um, this is one of the first games that had a pretty expansive roster. I remember like uh, Andre the Giant, Big Boss Man, uh, Macho Man Randy Savage, um, Andre the Giant, Ultimate Warrior. Like there, it had of course Hulk Hogan and, and plenty of others on here, but like tons of, of people on that one. Did you play that one a lot, the J? Yeah, or is that just me? I remember that one too. And looking at the cover that I pulled up, because I have I have a separate list too. We do our due diligence and homework here on the what's real podcast. And we're, we're like I said, the J is an Eagle Scout. I'm prepared. Hey, and I have like a whole other uh, slew of uh, paperwork here to go through, but yeah, I, it, I, you know, looking at the cover, I do remember that. And that was another one. I don't think I ever personally had. Cause again, back then, and even in the eighties wrestling games now, or pro- video games now run like 60 to $7, $70 on average back then wrestling. I keep saying wrestling video games were roughly about $30. So that was, that was a lot for a kid that doesn't have a job to ask your parents for $30 wrestling games constantly. And so many games came out, especially in the prime of Nintendo. So again, thank it goes back to like, thank God for the rental uh, ability. Cause I think this was another one we rented, you know, but I didn't own that. I got that for my birthday one year. And the one thing that I remember loving about that game is like, whenever you were wrestling in the ring, Whoever you were, that was the background music. It's like if you're wrestling as Hogan, it's like in the goofy eight bit yeah. ding 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 ding. That's hilarious. Like shit, like. But like, I love that. You know what I mean? But then we didn't realize, and it wasn't the last wrestling game by far on the NES. But at the time, we were definitely gamers for sure. The Jays. So we moved on to the Super Nintendo, and. One of the games for Super Nintendo for me, and I actually before we get to this, because you know, we did it, it's a little bit out of sync here in the article, and I wanted to talk about this too. Did you ever play WCW Wrestling for any? That's what I had on this list, and no, that's another one that, that I missed again. Because if you think about it, with me really becoming, even though I was a gamer, really becoming a wrestling fan in '92, you know, a lot of these before '92 games, uh, I just happened to. To, to rent or play just loving video games and thinking wrestling video games were cool, you know? So that's a cool aspect for, yep. for myself personally. But uh, but yeah, uh, WCW Wrestling from 89, I missed Hayo. Yeah, it, dude, I never played it. I mean, I've played it since, but I, I didn't play it when I was a kid. I remember seeing it and being like, oh my God, I want this game. But like, you just couldn't find the game anywhere. It wasn't, you know, like you couldn't just go to Toys R Us and buy it. I looked for it. They didn't have it. Um, I don't know, you know, I'm sure there was somewhere that sold it, but I just didn't find it. Um, and of course that game is just a complete port. Like the Jay was talking, it's from a, a, an old Japanese game called superstar pro wrestling. Um, fans of the game obviously were not fooled, um, because the WW, uh, WCW roster ended up using unfamiliar gimmicks borrowed from non-existent grapplers. Grapplers, the yeah, Dusty Rhodes, Sting, Nature Boy, Ric Flair, Rick Rude, Vader, and the rest of WCW. Or I'm sorry, I'm reading something else. But it had guys like Doom and shit and the Road Warriors. And it was cool, but it, it, it just, you know, it was like I was saying earlier. It was like a cash grab. 
type thing. I would have been so disappointed if I would have spent thirty dollars on that game in nineteen ninety and had to sit there and fucking try to like it. Yeah, as a little kid, but, you're like, this sucks. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, this is terrible. And your parents are like, I just bought you this fucking thing. You better play it. And you're like, fuck. Like, but then everything would kind of move into the Super Nintendo era. And, dude, I don't know about you. I got a Super Nintendo fairly early on, okay? And one of the selling points, and it was the first game that I ever got, was Super WrestleMania. Right. Yeah, I do remember Super WrestleMania. And real quick before that, uh, with the article pulled up, like you mentioned, hey, Ed, so you'll see what I'm talking about. Do you perchance remember what they reference here, Saturday Night Slam Masters from Capcom? I was going to get into okay. that because it's for Super Nintendo. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, but Super WrestleMania, so, just for, for at hand, uh, I do remember that game as well. Did you have that one? I don't think so. And we're going to get into the big one, the follow-up for, for me. That was a big asterisk. You know, I have asterisks on the ones I really wanted to get into is coming up. But yeah, for Super WrestleMania, okay. I, I definitely remember playing it decently. I don't remember uh, owning it, though. It, it didn't have finishers. It didn't have entrances. But it was the beginning of that era of games, like the same, you know, engine, basically. Right, to set up what I'm referring um, to. Yes, and you did have a pretty decent amount of wrestlers that you could choose from. You had Macho Man, you had Hogan, uh, you had Sid, you had Bret Hart. Like there was, you know, pretty. Or I actually don't think Bret was on uh, Super WrestleMania, um, but you know, it, it had a pretty extensive roster and really, really good graphics. The best that a wrestling game had up to that point. So essentially, after that, you know, they, there was wrestling games coming out for the Super Nintendo. And like the one that you mentioned was Saturday Night Slam Masters. This is one that I definitely found in the rental store. Yep. Uh, it was a Capcom wrestling game. It was more of a fighting game than a wrestling game, but it happened in a ring. It was a lot of fun. That's the thing. That I remember very well. Um, and it was something that I remember. I liked it so much. I rented it numerous times. So it wasn't just like a one-time rental for me. Um, but it was really, really a lot of fun. And I didn't know anybody that had the game, but for some reason that was a game that I knew that a lot of people had played. And I think because it was Capcom and it was, you know, the same company that did Street Fighter. So like, obviously people are going to at least check it out if they had the opportunity. Yeah, that was one, um, again, it was one we rented at my cousin's. I distinctly, to this day, can vividly remember playing that, you know, after we rented it, like you said, we'd rent it all the time and, and you nailed it. That, that's the thing that will suck you in sometimes, even though if, if you don't have the WCW or WWF of the time license that you can still put together a, an entertaining wrestling game if it's fun to play. And that's what this was. True. And of course it's Capcom, which it was basically Street Fighter 2 inspired, you know, just kind of with a wrestling aesthetic. Yep. And it was the same thing too. Like you even went like from continent to continent to try and like beat the champions. Yeah, and it had cool the, characters, you know. You know. And it's a, it's the same kind of thing. Like you see a country map, just like you do in Street Fighter. Right. And it's they probably kind of ported a lot of stuff over just to make it easier to do. Yeah. Um, but then everything fucking changed, especially for our asses. I remember because this was the time as a kid where I probably got a subscription to WWF magazine for Christmas. And I would gleefully wait for these issues to come in. And I remember one time I got the brand new issue and I'm flipping through. And I, this is like something that I used to love to do, yes. you know, especially as like a little kid, too, because like it's cool getting mail. It's like some shit that you like got a kick out of when you're a kid. And as an adult, it's the worst fucking thing ever. Bills. <laughs> yes. But so I was flipping through this WWF magazine 
And it was very typical at the time that they had video game ads in there for all types of video games. But this wasn't just any video game. This was a brand new WWF game called WWF Royal Rumble. It showed you characters in the game. It showed you screenshots from the game. And I was like hooked. I don't think I've ever wanted anything more in my I'm life with than you. that game. And I don't know if I've ever told the story on here, the Jay. I probably have told you before, but like this is a game that I had to like as a you know, like a 13-year-old to get it or whatever. I was scheming and plotting to try and because my and here's the other heartbreaking thing. I don't know if you remember this, the Jay. Every once in a while. So Super Nintendo games, I would say, were roughly 49. I was going to mention this. I have a personal story. To like 54-ish, depending on the game. But most of them were about 50 bucks. And there's two games that I specifically remember being fucking outrageous. One of them was the original Mortal Kombat. It was, I want to say, like 60-some or maybe 70 bucks. Dude, and this, so like, I'm looking at this ad and I'm like, oh my God, this looks so fucking cool. I got to get this game. And then I noticed something. The suggested retail price was $74.95. (laughs) And I'm, and and I shit you not, as a kid, I'm looking, I'm like, oh my God, I got to show my mom this. And then I see the price and I'm like, fuck, I'm never. (laughs) The systems of the time were $100 retail. (laughs) Yes. The entire system. Yes, which would like to get one of those was like Christmas, birthday, begging for months, fucking doing fucking chores, all kinds of bullshit. So you can get any kind of money to put towards it. And it was brutal. So my personal recollection, hey, Ed, I had, I believe it was birthday money. I had some leftover birthday money. It was probably like roughly 20, maybe $25. And I don't know if, if these stores were national honestly, or if they were a Pittsburgh area thing. But dude, I I, no joke. Remember this to this day. I was at a Hills with my mom. Really? Are Hills national or is that Pittsburgh? That one, I believe that was, I don't know if it was Pittsburgh, but it was like Tri-State. Either way, yeah, for those listening, Hills was a a department store from back in the day, H-I-L-L-S, just department store, almost like, you know, an 80s version of target you know which you can imagine an 80s version of target nothing near what you see especially like with super targets but long story short i was in there with my mom had my birthday money i did the exact same thing you did dude i remember finding that in a magazine and you know how you are as a little obsessive kid i would just go to that page that layout just stare at it various various different days that's how bad dude it's it was (laughs) it's it's the closest thing I can give to it is like it reminds you of a junkie. Yeah. And that's what we were as children. Yeah, obsessive. And to get your fix because you didn't even have the game. You're like, I got to open up the page 53. Yeah, and just, just look, look at, at it, it and imagine playing <laughs> it. So again, to wrap up the story, at Hills with my mom, $20 birthday money. My mom, you know, the sweetest thing ever growing up. And I was a pretty good kid. So like, you know, I, I had to earn things and stuff, but especially with birthday money. But to your point of the $70 price tag, she just couldn't believe it. And she was not going to let me buy it. And I I didn't like put on a fit or anything. I I think she could just see in my eyes. Like my mom read my eyes like he just wants this. He just wants this thing. So she gave in. But retail, I bought that thing at Hills for like $70. So check this out. So I'm, I'm in the exact same spot you were in, right? 
no birthday money because the game come, came out in the summer and my birthday's in September. Yeah, see, okay. that's what I, I forget with my money because I was trying to think when it came out because, of course, I'm a Christmas baby on the 21st. So there, there might have been so, some fudging in the story there. But I, I remember having something to throw towards it. But, dude, so I'm, like, obsessed. And, I'm, and the game's not out yet. And I'm trying to think of everything. And at this point, I'd already talked to my mom about it. And she's like, maybe for your birthday, we'll see, you know. And you just want it right away. Yes. And I got to wait months for this shit, which back then you would do. It's not like you'd always get games on the release date and stuff like that. But it was still like, ah, man, like, all right. So I remember in the summer, uh, one day it was like, you know, I'm sitting around and my mom's like, hey, Tomorrow, your grandparents wanted to take you out. They're going to do something, blah, 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 which I would do go do with my grandparents. I'd like go spend the day with them and stuff. So I'm like, okay, you know, whatever. So like they picked me up the next day and like we probably went to lunch or something like just whatever. But we ended up at Century 3 Mall and we're walking around and like my grandparents were awesome they were just like happy to kind of like hang out with me so like they were taking me to places where i would like stuff and of course as a you know 12 13 year i was probably 12 get turning 13 um i'm like going to the video game store and i'm looking at stuff and i'm like you know this is cool and they're like you know do you see anything you want and i'm like no there's not really anything out that i want like cuz you know i wasn't greedy about video games as a kid i knew there was plenty of games that i didn't care about at all they weren't for me and then I see it, fucking Royal Rumble. And I'm like, oh, man. And it's $79.99. <laughs> and I'm like, I got to ask, but there's no fucking way they're going for this. So, like, my grandma's like, you sure you don't see anything you want? And I'm like, well, I mean, there's this one. And she looks at it. And she looks at the sticker. And she's like, if you want it, you can get it. And I'm like fucking are you kidding me like oh my god and then my grandpa comes over and he's like oh did you find one she's like yeah this one and he's like oh how much is that one she's like it's like 79 and he's like what (laughs) must be a mistake and i'm like yeah and i'm like it's not a mistake it's how and i was like i know i was like but and my grandpa i got into wrestling because of my grandmother and you know she was and she was like just let him get it and he's like if you want him to get it we'll get it He's like, I just hope his mom's not going to yell at us when we get home. And I, dude, we had to do like other things like that afternoon. And I remember like waiting in the car when they like went into another store and I'm just like looking through the exactly. instruction yep, booklet. That's what you would do. And I'm like staring at the thing. Yep. <laughs> and like looking at the back of the box because like Super Nintendo did have cool boxes. For exactly. Everything. Yeah, I had the box pulled up with, with the... uh you know, it's Bret Hart, Undertaker, Perfect, Yokozuna, Razor. Shout out to Razor and Shawn Michaels. You want to hear this? You want to hear the stupidest thing of all time? That What's that? I had that game along with a whole plethora of uh, Super Nintendo games mint in the boxes from when I originally bought them and played them uh, in a box in my basement at my parents' I, I had them for a while. I moved out. Yeah, I had them and for I, a while. And dude, they were mint. Everything, instruction booklets, the whole fucking thing. And dude, they basically got destroyed. Yeah. And it makes me want to cry a little bit. Yeah, it probably lie. would have been worth something. But yeah, like you said. I, I, I don't mean, even I wish I just had it. It's like I would keep Royal. I would sell the rest of the games and keep Royal yeah, just to have myself. It. I'd probably keep that in Mortal Kombat just to be like souvenirs from my video games when I was a kid. But it's again, you go through those 
evolutions each year and the game developers are trying to keep up with the technology and like keep pumping into you know more and more things built off of the last iterations especially like the last generations and then this being kind of like you you broke down it's like kind of that perfect timing like super nintendo gets introduced from nintendo it's this huge thing super wrestlemania is the, the first wrestling game it's kind of cool graphics are better it's so neat then this was the one this was the year it's like empire strikes back to star wars you know it's like dude it had the one-on-one the tag the triple tags of course the big you know royal obviously rumble. yeah it's called the royal rumble the rumbles for the first time splashes atomic drops dozens of new moves finishers. signatures finishers you steel chairs with chairs yep. oh, and you can bump out the ref ever. yes you can knock the, dude we used to do that all the time on that game and dude that's that is the original wrestling video game, the J, that got me doing my own paper yep. cards. I had a I had a notebook and I'd write them all. It started out. all I'd like you know th- this guy for the belt versus this guy, and then I'm doing this. Like that's how I would do it, and I would go match by match, and you know I I do DQs, I you know like all kinds of shit. Like that's what really like that was the first time that I probably took like playing with my figures and how I used to like book shit with my figures as a kid. Like I didn't do that anymore, obviously at that point, but then like, you convert reminded me to the rest that. to the video game. Yep. That's what we exactly. Did. And dude, I don't know if I've ever played any video game. Me, I've me ever either. That's a great call. Than Royal That's Rumble. why I said this was my first big asterisk when we got to WF Royal Rumble for the Super Nintendo. Cause dude, I was playing that game for years. Yeah, like I was of course. playing it up because, dude, you figure that came out in what ninety three. Yep. The next one didn't come out till ninety seven. Yeah, that's how it was and, back then. Exactly. And dude, I was playing that game consistently for four fucking years. I swear to God, I would. Yep. I'm right with it, you. It just it, hell of a game. Great memories. It's it's probably my favorite wrestling game. I don't know about my. It's man. I. I it's probably not my favorite wrestling game, but it's probably my favorite game experience. Just being able to buy a game and play. Like I was just, I've never been more happy and satisfied with a game than I was with Royal Rumble. Well, I was also just to throw it out there since you brought it up, going to mention, because we didn't even talk about it. Of course, I'll just throw it at you. Uh, when we wrap up uh, this segment to just shout out and end the segment with our personal top five. Okay. Yeah, we could do that. And of course I can end this kind of, well, actually that can't really end it, but, uh, the next one that came out was WWF Raw, which was basically a port of the same game. It just had more of an updated roster, a little bit better graphics. Yeah, different arena. There was some w- different arena, stuff like that. Different look because the look of the company was a little bit differently at the time. Uh, different ring aprons. People like the one, two, three kid, Luna Vachon. Uh, you know, it was it was more indicative of that that era. But, you know, and that, actually it wasn't 97. That was probably like 90, a year. 94. So, yeah, I was dead off on that because I was even trying to think of the roster. I'm like, wait a minute, that doesn't line up. Yeah, so I was but, thinking yeah, of that. That's why it's kind of like a clone, you know, like you said, just more dudes, few more moves. But that, that goes back to my point where when they're that, that close, then, you know, WWF Raw is going to be kind of cooler. It's like the next evolution of Royal Rumble. But Royal Rumble was one of those rare ones that was like the huge leap. You know, like you yes. have that with Madden. Yeah, like you, you one. never know when that new Madden. Because even when the the console generation switched, like the PS5. You know, a lot of people um, are kind of lukewarm feelings about the 
you know, PS5 and Xbox Series X versions of Madden and stuff like that, that they didn't evolve all that much from the previous iterations. Like every once in a while, you just get that huge leap. Absolutely. And dude, it's really weird because, uh, and we're going to kind of backtrack here a little bit at this time. So uh, there was a game originally called the Fire Pro Wrestling Series. It was for a PC engine in 1989, and it kind of flew under the radar, okay? The 18th version of the game, however, was called Super Fire Pro Wrestling X Premium, and it wasn't anything close to just an innocent game. Uh, but, dude, this is the first time a game came with, like, real wrestler fake names to legally infringe on copyrights. Um, and it was one of the games that would, have, of course, turn into Fire Pro Wrestling. You know, it, like, there was offshoots of this, too, um, where the graphics weren't the main thing. It was the it gameplay. Was an engine that acted like real wrestling. Yeah, you could put on Other 30 realistic matches. And others. Exactly. And of course, this would come, you know, it would build up to a whole series of games. But, you know, it, it, through the years, it was a fairly successful Japanese game series. So then in 1997, and at this point, we're in the PlayStation era. So, so this is the, yeah, this is the next big one, the big asterisk. And 1997 came around, and I don't remember how I originally found out about this game, but it, it might have been through wrestling magazines or potentially even video game magazines. Yeah, definitely magazines. But we saw, and at the time, this was during the, the middle of the uh, Monday Night Wars between the WWF and the WCW, and we liked both companies. We watched them the, both faithfully at the time. And out of nowhere, here comes an amazing looking with a huge roster, all kinds of stuff, a game called WCW versus the world. And the reason why this might have the biggest asterisk on here is that me and the J and our buddy Squid, for example, were all tight at this time in high school and shit. We knew this game was coming out. We all were looking forward to it. I remember, I want to say that all three we of us went to them went all together the and bought it. Yep. Yeah, we went and bought the game. Uh, that It was like a Friday or something. So like after school, we, were, we all ended up at your house because it just so happened that that Friday night, we were going to go to a local independent wrestling show. And we're like, hey, let's play some fucking versus the world. And then we'll go to the That's, I was going to mention, Good too, a, a lot of other po people probably did, but known to our friends as the nickname, not WCW versus the world, but we just call it let's play some versus the world. Versus the world. Yes. Um, so we went up to your house and we fired the game up. And we had known that there was a big, like it was like, you know, more than 80 wrestlers, but they did announce to you what the WCW wrestlers were already. So like we knew the Giant and Ric Flair and NWO Hogan and you know, like all these dudes were on the game, but we didn't know anything about the rest of the game. So whenever you play the game and you start out and you go to the menu screens, you pick through your matches and shit, and then you go to where the character choices are, boom, there's all your WCW characters. But then you start looking around at all the other ones, hence, there was one category of WCW, and then the rest of the categories was supposed to represent the world. There was a bunch of fake wrestling federations with fake guys. But if you were an intelligent wrestling fan, like we were at the yeah, time, yeah, we called it all out. Our fucking minds were blown. This had, even though all the names were fake, 
You had a category for New Japan. You had a category for All Japan. You had a category for, uh, you know, Mexico. All Just all these different categories. But what you resulted in was not only did you have your WCW guys, but you had people like Terry Funk, Dynamite Kid. You had Vader. You had uh, Stan Hansen. You had Masahiro Chono, the Great Muda. Every major wrestling super, Sabu was a character on there. Um, the Great Sasuke, Takamichinoku. Again, plus all your WCW guys. So basically the only company that they seem to not really have guys from was the WWF. And the game even had hidden characters. And one of them was Jeff Jarrett in WCW, which I remember. Mm-hmm. Um we figured all this stuff out pretty quickly. Um, we were having a blast. Before we know it, hours had passed. It was time for us to go to the wrestling show, which we promptly we all looked never at each other to. and said, "We're going to stay and play." <laughs> and I mean, oh, dude, I don't remember I'll never ever forget that. being so obsessed with a game. Like we were all like, "Dude, I can't stop fucking playing this. I'm going to leave here, go home tonight, and I'm going to play this shit alone <laughs> yeah. more." I, I, it was crazy. I wanted to shout out too because I like how the IGN article breaks it down. So going back to some of the eras we were covering previously, like in the early '90s and stuff, they talk about you know because they're talking about the '80s WWF games and then eventually WCW is becoming competition and then they introduce their video games. Their video games pretty much sucked. Like they say here, the WCW had dropped the ball hard and playing embarrassed itself, especially compared to like. Royal Rumble that we were talking about in its prime. And then to what we're yep. talking about with Verse the World, it says, then after several no-sells, the WCW caught up to the adults in every way. And, and another good point here with the newly formed AKI Corporation. And for those that don't know, the AKI Corporation would basically um, be the developers that would create and invent this amazing rest, like the way that they do this 3D gaming. And, and, and the evolution yeah. of the PlayStation engine, of course, and the technology at that time. And see, this wasn't the first wrestling game on PlayStation. You actually previously had, uh, I forget. Yeah, what the, Squid, Squid had that like virtual pro wrestling thing. Well, and then well, or something that, that's like that. not it. That's, that's not what I'm talking okay. about. So I'll get, I'll get to that in a second. But first up, you had the WWF games. But they were like arcade-style fighting games. In Your House was one, and then I forget what the first one was. Was it Super WrestleMania or something like that? Yeah, something along those lines. Or, I have the whole list here. But like, it, that's the one where like Doink would hit you with the mallets and shit. Yeah, it was just it was uh, an arcade. You, WrestleMania the arcade game yeah. is what it was. So these games were cool, and they were fun to play with your friends, but we wanted a wrestling game. And that first wrestling game on PlayStation came with a game called Virtual Pro Wrestling, but it was retitled as Power Pro. Power Pro. There you go. And they had fake guys on the game, some of which were based off real guys. You could tell Great Muda, Sasuke, uh, or I'm sorry, uh, Kensuke Sasaki, um, Great Muda. And it was a really, really fun game that we all enjoyed, but there wasn't a lot of guys. It, it was fun for it lasted, but WCW that WCW versus the world kind of continued that on and like exploded. Yeah, it was like that. The on graphics were better, it, exactly. And this was the game that really changed it all. And you would continue to get other video games for the PlayStation for wrestling. A lot of them kind of bad, frankly. Um, and at the time, there was competing wars, not just in wrestling, but also with video game companies. And the N64. 
And the N64 was out at the same time. And, you know, a lot of our friends had PlayStations. We had a friend that had N64. And then we found something pretty fucking amazing because he saw us playing versus the world. And he's like, man, this game's really cool. It'd be nice to get something like that for the 64. And boy, did they. The very first wrestling game for the N64 was a port kind of of this game that we're talking about for versus the world. But it was called WCW versus NWO world tour it was a fully 3d um it, it was this completely revolutionized the game it had the biggest roster that we probably had ever seen up to that point massive wcw roster all kinds of other guys and it this was like th- the first time that it felt like a game really caught up with our fandom and what we wanted in a game. It's like we made yeah, it. was it. like almost perfect. Like, you know, nothing's perfect, but this was as close to perfect at that time. You know, again, all the stars aligning kind of thing, like we're saying it, it was. And this also opened a can of worms personally for the J. As as I said, lifelong hardcore gamer. But, I, you know, still always practical. You know, I'm not a multimillionaire. I would stick to one system and I was I became a PlayStation guy. Well, the invention of an introduction of WCW versus NWO World Tour was the first time I bit the bullet to buy a second system, a second main system just for this game. And I had a PlayStation and I purchased an N64 just to get this game. Yeah, and I don't blame you. And the only reason I never did for that was because I was playing this game at my yeah, friend's we were playing house it, constantly. Yeah, shout out the apartment, the, the quote-unquote apartment it, where our, our friends and I um, hey, Ed and I hung out with all our boys in our senior year of high school. Our, our friends had three of our friends had an apartment they shared. It just became, as you can imagine, with eighteen-year-olds in, in a, an apartment, <laughs> it became the like Animal House in real life for a summer. Some of the best times of our lives, and one of the songs of of the soundtrack of the summer of '98 for our crew. Shout out to Generation F was, of course, constantly playing this game WCW versus NWO World Tour. And then, like, you know, this game was amazing. And, you know, the thing that was really disappointing for you at this time is if you were a PlayStation owner and a WWF fan. Because you were getting games for, like, first up, there would be another WCW game called WCW Nitro. We were really excited for it. It was terrible. Stunk. Uh, Then the, you know, WWF games that would come out for it, uh, you know, the... They first came out with a real wrestling game called WWF Warzone. And it was a cool game because you can really change a lot of stuff. Like you can change the look of a show, the entrance, you know, area. Yeah, that was starting. The gameplay was terrible compared to even WCW versus the world on the same Yeah, because one thing I want to add real quick, hey, Ed, because the article makes a great point. With World Tour's new mechanics and cutting-edge graphics of the time, wrestling games had gone to a new plateau. They weren't just niche games for diehard fans anymore. They were for anybody who appreciated a great video game. And, and we could, you know, shout out to our apartment days, just a quick side story, which you'll get a kick out of shout out to our friend, AJ, who would just play versus the world against us. Like, cause you know, us wrestling fans, of course, we'd play each other. That's when we started that too. Speaking of putting together pay-per-views, like you did it by yourself as a kid with your notebook, this took it to the level of us hardcore fans doing that with each other, like as friends and having our own league. And we would try to do pay-per-views and just try to put on good matches. We weren't just trying to button mash and win. Well, our buddy AJ 
yeah. wasn't down because he was a wrestling fan, but he loved the game. <laughs> so he would just, he infamously would just beat all of us because he was just all about winning. He'd cheat and like button mash and all that. We'd get all pissed. I just had to throw that side story in because that was too, too funny. Absolutely. And then I would kind of fall into the same world as you, the Jay, because what was happening on the N64 system was the the WWF games started coming out and it just so happened that they made a deal with the AKI Corporation uh, and took over what they were doing with WCW versus the NWO World Tour and made WWF games, specifically WrestleMania 2000 and WWF No Mercy. And those to me were the, I bought the system just, those were the only two games I ever had for N64 personally. That's the only reason why I bought them. And those games were insane. They were amazing. They took everything, like they they did actually improve the games. It wasn't just a port over the WCW games with the WWF talent. And those games were a massive, massive deal. This this brings us to the story of the Jays' life with the walk down memory lane that creates the history of pro wrestling video games. Because like we said, we're hardcore, lifelong pro wrestling fans. So we pretty much got our hands on any wrestling game we could. And it tells like a side life story, you know, just being part of our lives all this time. And these games bring us to the Jays' experience in college. And I just remember playing these in college with all my boys and roommates and stuff and you know, like I said, soundtrack to my life was WrestleMania 2000 and uh, it's follow up No Mercy uh, in my college years. And we had a fucking blast with these. And again, I, we got to mention guys that don't like wrestling. We're, we're obsessed with it. You know, yeah, the whole my like, you know, basically lived in a, a non frat frat house and like the whole house was was down with tournaments and Royal Rumbles. And, you know, we had a we had a thing we'd be playing with like six, seven guys. And like once you were eliminated from the rumble, you switch the controller and everybody took their turn. You know, it, it was great. Yep. And then something changed. Eventually, THQ would come to be the maker of the WWE games and it. It would come on to, you know, introduce us to games like WWE WrestleMania 18, um, you know, WWE Raw, and then it would eventually start the SmackDown series of games, which was incredibly successful. But I remember pretty much every year when we'd get these games, we were like, eh, it just wasn't the same. Yeah, like it just, I mean, people still yearn for No Mercy. Absolutely. And it's understandable why. And of course, there was other games that came out on the GameCube, stuff like that. I was never a GameCube person. So other than playing them elsewhere, I really didn't play them a lot. Um, And of course, this would all change years later when they would get into the WWE 2K series. And that's when you've seen things. They, They didn't do the same as the N64 games, but you could tell they were really trying to do their best to return it back to that sort of thing. Uh, with the later, you know, the PlayStation, what, I guess, two, three, and probably four at that point, they would come out with those games for years, all the way up until last year where they decided to take a break uh, for a single year. And it's kind of weird. It Like, it's good that there's usually a pretty decent wrestling game for people, but it's also a lot weirder because just when you do the WWE 2K, you know, 15, 16 set, you lose a lot of the luster. It's. I remember Madden being kind of the same that's, way. Like, I that's remember, what I was like, going to mention. Madden 95 being like such a special one. But if you came to me and you were like, dude, what was your favorite thing about Madden 2001? I'd be like, I don't know. Right. I don't even. Like, I, I played it. I owned it. 
But like, I couldn't even explain to you anything about it because there's been so many Madden games afterwards that are in principle kind of the same thing. It's like, yeah, look at the Switch rosters a little bit WWF clear. Royal Rumble and like, you know, the N64 games, it's, it's insane. And that's the way it is, but it's with Madden. So, and you know, based on the system, you know, like, remember the ones for Super Nintendo? Remember the ones for PlayStation? What about the ones for PlayStation 2? You're still playing them on PlayStation 5. They're great games, but it's just vastly different. Yeah, and that's what happens, you know, due to money. We always say money ruins everything in a lot of ways because they're still making the money off of them. So they're still going to bring them out every year when, in turn, yep. it would probably be better for the fans. You know, it's not all the time always about the fans, just about the the box stops here and the final dollar where if like you said at one point, like if they gave it a four year hiatus, you know, which, which in turn caught yeah. up to them, you know, speaking of which with the most recent iterations, not to jump around too much, but while we're here with the latest uh, 2k being in charge of the WWE video games where WWE uh, 2k 20 was notoriously so bad, full of bugs, glitchy, just a crappy game that they took off a whole year for the first time in decades to make sure that the, the next iteration 2K22 was right. And uh, I have early impressions of that. We can maybe wrap up towards the end because it's the modern thing. But but yeah, that's what that's what happens. And it, it caught up to them because they had to take a year off. Madden has never even done that. You know, Madden still not hasn't taken a full year off. They just keep putting them out. But to your point, it's diminishing returns when you come out that rapidly. And we've seen a lot of other missteps during all these years, too. We saw a failed ECW game. Uh, we saw uh, TNA Impact released a game, and it was atrocious. Um, so we've seen other wrestling companies actually step up and kind of do that sort of thing, but nobody was ever able to take the charge. And currently, when we're recording, we're waiting for you know any type of news on an AEW game which has been in development for quite some time at this point too. So, you know, the evolution of video games is pretty wild through time, but like a lot of things, dude, you can tell it it's not the same because just the general watering down of almost everything now that's popular. It's just there's a million and one iterations of it. Uh greed makes sure that they check one out every year no matter if it's good or not. Um it becomes less special um, it doesn't matter. Like you've even said before, like if it wasn't for your son, there's a good chance you probably would have stopped by. Yeah. Time. I have a blast playing with my kid. That's, that's, I mean, that's the only time I play. I don't really play by myself. I just play the, uh, the single player mode, you know, like the showcase mode by mm -hmm. myself. But yeah, other than that, I mean, mm -hmm. he's like the main reason. And, and one, one thing here, you know, with the history of video games, cause this is kind of a parallel thing and I'm sure you remembered it because it's from the same Ukes and AKI engine. And that was, you know, especially us being hip hop fans growing up was the Def Jam series. Remember that? Because it was, oh, you know, the yeah, it was similar to the wrestling games and had the same engine, you know, as, the Def Jam icon, you know, there's Def Jam icon and different things, but uh, I just wanted to throw out that out there. As a, was, a it Def, was the first one Def Jam Underground so, or something, something like that? Yeah. Yeah. I love that game when it first came out. I thought that was a lot of fun. That's like the PlayStation 2 era where there was a ton of really cool shit out. So, you know, I definitely enjoyed that stuff a lot, but it's weird, man. I don't really play video games nearly as much as I used to. Um, but I'll tell you right now, it's very possible that Jay and I told you this before that AEW game could bring me back fucking in a heartbeat. Yeah. Yeah. We'll have to see about that. For those that don't know what Ed's alluding to, the new AEW game is being uh, kind of developed as uh, a homage 
to the games that we talked about, the prime of what many people look as the prime of wrestling video games here as we cover the history with the pre-forementioned WrestleMania 2000 and then the even better uh, follow-up version with No Mercy, which is collectively kind of considered by most diehards uh, and you know video game nerds and wrestling fans, and especially guys like me, the combination. Uh, overall, No Mercy is probably considered the overall, in the grand scheme of things, best video game of all time. Yeah, I, I definitely would not argue Rest, with Wrestling that. video so, game. Yes, but as you said, the Jay, what, a top five here you wanted to do? Yeah, let's round it out, dude. But yeah, what a fun trip down memory lane. That's what we said. It would be a great segment to bring up talking points and just memories, you know, just being where we're at in our lives and being lifelong wrestling fans and gamers. It's a hand-in-hand kind of thing, and we've been there personally through all of this. You know, like I said, from childhood to college to playing with my son. Oh, how cool is that? Sums it up. Um, how do you want to do it? Hey, I just shout out uh, one each to count it down. Oh, I, no, I was going to say, I'm just going to give you five. I'm not going to put them in. Yeah, go. Yeah, I was put on. The That's easy. I don't have anything. I, I'm, I was kind of the same, so. too. I, you know I me. Mean? I always denote the I hate the kind of ranking thing because it's so subjective. It's kind of like I, I always like saying that in no particular order. These are my top five, you know. Yeah, that, that, and that's what I would do with this one. So, of course, you can't make the list without the original NES Pro Wrestling. Oh, and you want me to shout mine out? Yeah. My bad. That's how the J is just, I'm, I'm slow, people. We're hitting the witching hour. Um, I'll, I'll throw out WrestleFest first, the arcade classic. Yeah, WrestleFest is definitely on my list for sure. Go with Royal Rumble. Royal Rumble's on mine for sure. Versus the World. Versus the World's on mine for sure. Then I cheated for the uh, second spot. And then I have number one, and my cheating was World Tour and WrestleMania 2000 in a tie. Uh, I have WWF No Mercy. And No Mercy is my own number one. So that's my five. Okay. So I gave six. Uh, pretty good overall. Those are, to me, like, you know, everyone, th- those are all like the kings of their category, basically. You know what I mean? So it's, it's the easiest way to do yeah. it. So. But I hope you guys enjoyed our history of wrestling video games, something a little bit different for us here on the show. We are going to take a quick commercial break, and the wrestling doesn't stop because me and the Jay are going to take a look at the documentary, The Story of WrestleMania. Stay tuned, guys. We'll be back right after this on the What's Real Podcast. Hey, everyone. It's the Jay with the What's Real Podcast here with Natrona Bottling Company. Now, over a century after original owner Ed Walsh opened the doors, Vito Gerasoli, the Sultan of Soda, runs Natrona Bottling. Possessing the same love and care for the brand and its methods as Paul did, Vito gave new life to the once thriving company. Vito has kept the core values of Natrona Bottling alive while placing an emphasis on current trends. Today, Vito, Steve, and Mary Jane endure to operate Natrona Bottling Company just as it did 70 years ago. Using the same vintage machinery and our signature pinpoint carbonation, we continue to mix every batch by hand, giving you a genuine American soda pop. We strive to make sure each bottle receives the same level of attention as it did back in 1904, using 100% pure cane sugar just as we always did, way before it was trendy. We produce authentic, true American soda pop. Check us out today on all social media and at natronabottling.com. That's natronabottling.com. will survive. And we're back, and it is time to get into the story of WrestleMania. 
This is a documentary that you can currently watch on the WWE Network through Peacock. The Cock. Uh, which I've, I've seen it before, thankfully, uh, because it's the God, Peacock is just terrible. Um, but I did rewatch this, and of course, it is telling all about the story of WrestleMania from the very first moment all the way to modern day. And dude, it's weird. I like this documentary. I do. And when I originally saw it, it was put up on two parts, okay, uh, on the WWE Network before Peacock was a thing. And part one is amazing, and part two is a complete snoozer to me. And it's not because old versus new. It's like because with the original WrestleManias, there were stories. Like the the original WrestleMania was a big financial undertaking by Vince McMahon. Uh, it, Cindy Lauper was involved. Mr. T was involved. It was a big celebrity event. It was a first time thing in the wrestling business, and it's what essentially set the WWF for what they are today, being the WWE. Uh, WrestleMania two was pretty unique. It, it was the first WrestleMania that they tried to do in several different sites. Uh, it also led to an interesting story for me because for my entire life, I remember watching WrestleMania two on TV and I'd always have people be like, well, it wasn't on TV, you watched it on pay-per-view. And this documentary was a huge revelation for me because they mentioned how Pittsburgh is one of the places in, it's the one of my notes, the, the only place, the closed circuit went out and it aired later on that as like a refund thing. on tv for free yep. yes it, they just did it for free on a local channel it was sponsored by b94 radio and everything i rem- you know and i watched it and i remember it but people for years told me that was bullshit until i saw this and i'm like i fucking knew i watched that <laughs> when i was a kid um so wrestlemania 2 was the first wrestlemania i saw anything close to uh, it's air date. WrestleMania three would have been my first catching it live. Probably same for you too. Cause we've talked about this on the show yep, before. Exactly. Yep. Um, and obviously the story of WrestleMania three is incredible. It's the most important WrestleMania of all time, except for maybe the first one, but I still think it's the most important. Of course, Hogan and Andre, uh, they go through the Trump Plaza years, the Toronto year, um, you know, all the way through all the changes, and you know, like once the Hogan years were over, things like that. So they go through the entire history of WrestleMania. But the thing is, for me, is eventually the story's gone and they're still going on and on. And it just becomes like a thing where like everybody's like, it's the showcase of the Amore. It's like every company line about WrestleMania. And at that point, it kind of loses its luster to me. But the first part is fucking amazing. It's really fantastic. They bring on the best people to talk about all this stuff. They show you everything in detail. It's just really good all around that part. I really, really like that. Because like I said, there's a story to actually tell there. And that's my first takes, hey, y'all, or the fact that this was a good call to kick off the What's Real podcast, Road to WrestleMania, as we cover professional wrestling uh, heavily. And this is the huge season for wrestling with uh, Impending Mania, which we'll have the preview um, of WrestleMania starting just next week, man. WrestleMania is right around the corner. Uh, So I thought this was a good way to start our personal podcast tribute to WrestleMania and covering varying things with the specific show, uh, the showcase of the immortals, if you will. This was like a, a really good breakdown of just introducing the history of WrestleMania from WrestleMania one all the way to present. Like you said, even though this is a few years old now, so it goes up to a certain point. So my first take that I have to say, cause you, you broke down a lot of the same things I would say, uh, of course, um, you know, with the outset, you got the, the new, numeral WrestleManias in a row, WrestleMania one, the big risk two. you broke everything down. My thing looking at this just as kind of like a discussion piece. 
would be, you know, as, as well, I got to shout out just from my line of thinking here as an independent filmmaker, hypothetically, if somebody would come up to me in a fantasy scenario and say, the J we're going to give you the rights to Vince McMahon's biography and in his biopic, not even biography, let's call it a biopic, like a feature film on Vince McMahon, which I'm sure eventually will happen someday. Um, no time soon. I know they're doing the documentary, but hypothetically they're saying the Jay, you have the rights to, to do, we want you to do a feature film on Vince McMahon's biopic. H- how are you structuring this uh, initially point to bring it up? Hey Ed is to this documentary, the true story of WrestleMania. I would do the whole film around Vince McMahon taking over the territories from his New York territory and putting his entire life and life savings on the line to do WrestleMania and end it after the first WrestleMania. And then there's room for other films. There's room for a full biopic or whatever. But that story, like you were alluding to, is so interesting and such a cool, true story that that is where I would do the entire biopic around, you know, maybe some stuff at the beginning of, of his upbringing and, and things like that. But eventually like that story is just so iconic to me. And that's what gets kind of relived here in the true story of WrestleMania documentary. But like you said, man, it kind of goes downhill from there because that story is so just ridiculous how wrestling was set up as a territorial thing. And he takes over and he makes that risk, gets death threats, everything else. Hulk Hogan's even in this, like, you know, this first WrestleMania, like our whole livelihood was on the line because we thought if it didn't work, we were going to be blacklisted for for working they for Vince. They would have been. Yep. So yep. everything involved there is my, like, that just brought me back, like watching this. I'm just thinking like, dude, that would just be the best part of Vince McMahon's story is, is him, you know, completely going against the grain, being that, you know, kind of rebel, against all the other promoters and it was fucked up in a lot of ways too. Don't get me wrong. It's very convoluted, but just an epic, amazing story. And it goes into what's being told in the documentary here too. And I just had to go on that rant. About yeah. it. No, I mean, I, I agree with that. I mean, I think that dude, that you know how like WWE is known very much for their revisionist history, right? I think a, a lot of that revisionist history doesn't really start until around 87 or so. So like when you're seeing stuff from like the first WrestleMania, the second and third, that's pretty much what's really going on. You know what I mean? Like there's no need to do revisionist history on it because it's pretty straightforward. Um, but then as of WrestleMania three, you know, the legendary 93,173, that's a work number um, there, you know, and then it just goes on from there. And then it, I always, and I, I like them, you know, since, but like, I remember as a kid, you know, WrestleMania three was such a big thing. And then when they did Trump Plaza two years in a row, I fucking hate hated it i liked those wrestlemanias when i was a kid but i just it pissed me off that it was like in this little place now i don't know why and then that in with six whenever they went to the sky dome in toronto i was like happy again um but i remember hating that when they did that um even though it is very cool looking for tv and stuff like that it's just a really weird setup and everything but you know it they definitely stand out and it's the only time they did wrestlemania the same place two years in a row Right. Yeah. And, and all, all the stories that, 
or behind each WrestleMania are cool in and of themselves, you know, especially WrestleMania is one through 10. And then like, you know, even getting into the other ones, of course, each, each year is the evolution of where the WWF is at the time and, and who the biggest stars are and the stories they're telling for mania each year and everything. And, and each one's unique in and of itself. And the, the thing about this particular documentary though, for us is that we, as we constantly say, are such hardcore long-term fans that it's all stuff that we've been over a million times too. So, you know, cause I specifically uh, just even wrapped this today because of my timing. I started it uh, yesterday, but uh, wrapped it like a little bit before we even got on the what's real podcast this week. And, and yeah, it's just, you know, especially of course the, the more recent years too, you know, like, like you said, I completely concur the, the longer the documentary goes on, like the last 20 minutes, I'm just like, okay, I'm ready for this to wrap up. And, and again, that's why I went on that diatribe at the beginning. That That is like you said, the story, you know, it's just like Vince's bet on mania and then the closed circuit thing that made mania two so unique. And then the most iconic mania ever at the silver dome. And of course they have the portion of Ricky steamboat macho man's match deal on the show and how that was kind of the, the evolution of, of that where it's like, you didn't have to be, spotlighted by Vince and in the main event to, to steal the show. You know, it's like, as long as you got on the card, you know, with your opponent, you could possibly pull off a show stealing moment, which a lot of people did over the years and things like that. And and us as fans would look for that. What's going to be the mania sleeper match. I'm sure we'll even be talking somewhat about that this year. So all, all that involves pretty cool. And again, the stories behind each mania are cool, but we, we know them so well, you know, and it goes into mania 10, with uh, Owen Hart and and Brett's match and being at Madison Square Garden. And then the story behind Mania 11 was pretty much the first time a non-wrestling performer performed at a WrestleMania with Lawrence Taylor main eventing against Bam Bam, you know, which, which we even said at the time we were disappointed with, but when we saw the match, we were pretty impressed with Lawrence Taylor. Cause that, again, that's, that's, yeah. you know, the first time you ever seeing something like that. Yeah. I mean, LT was definitely a big deal. I mean, I know why they did it because it got them a ton of press, and they definitely of course, did it's it. Press and money, so and it's and it's weird too because you even get this to to this day where people will complain about specific celebrities being at WrestleMania, and I'm like, dude, it's a WrestleMania. That's what they do. It's like a celebrity uh, again. They, they type yeah, they say it. That's what put over one with you know, like you mentioned, Cindy Lauper, as as everybody says, that rock and wrestling connection back in the '80s brought it to that mainstream level that the WWF would have never got to without that those kind of uh you know combinations and two of the funny parts that i wanted to shout out though because i know you remember this uh, speaking of wrestlemania 11 just while we're there with lawrence taylor remember him afterwards legitimately saying he couldn't even say how how brutal it was yeah cardio wise and stuff he's like i'm an nfl football player but this stuff is is legit and when like i'm thinking of that re-watching just the highlights from this and you, they show him get the pin and just thinking of that and just watching him you could see he's just dead they're like raising his hand and his head's Dude. just hanging <laughs> let me throw out there a quick side story for everybody so there was a time, as the Jay mentioned earlier in the show, where backyard wrestling was something that we did. And uh, it just so happened that through those folks that we did the backyard wrestling with, it eventually led us to a ring to perform in. So we went to this building one night, and it was to do a show, and we decided to record it and things like that. And we did. And there was, you know, some people had a couple matches. It wasn't anything super crazy, but, like, you know, we were all trying to get used to the Bumping. ring. Kind of be... Yeah, bumping, trying to figure out what we were doing and everything. And, like, we had so much fun. 
It was a blast. We recorded it, which, of course, we lost the tape since, so that's gone. Blame the J. That's my bad. Uh, that shit happens, but whatever. Uh, but, you know, it was a cool experience, and I'll never forget this. So, like, we did hours of this stuff. You know, we got everything we needed to, and then we proceeded to go to our buddy Gus and Russ's house just to hang out afterwards. That's kind of like our hangout spot at the time. Uh, just hanging out in the parking lot, basically. And I'll never forget this. I was sitting on his front steps on his porch. And I'm like, I can barely fucking walk. Like, I'm so sore fucking hurt right now. Like, I'm beat. And, it, you know, you would know this, the J2. A lot of people might not. But, like, the ring ropes in a wrestling ring, if you're not used to going back and forth on them, uh, it doesn't hurt, you know. But there are metal coils inside the ropes. So you go bouncing off those ropes and, you know, oh, my God, this this is cool. You know, this is fun. Like, especially when you get in a ring, it's something you want to do is just, you know, bounce off ropes. It's part of being in a wrestling ring. And we did plenty of that that night. And my back hurt like hell. And I went home to take a shower afterwards. And when I took off my shirt, it looked like somebody was beating me with Damn, a fucking Singapore cane across my back for about, you know, three straight days. Um, I couldn't believe, and keep in mind too, you know, this too, the J I was athletic. I played plenty of sports, played plenty of days of just pick up football as a teenager with no fucking pads for hours and hours. And of course you'd be sore and shit after that. Nothing, nothing was that brutal that I've never felt anything like that in my life. I was like, I feel like I'm going to die. Yeah. It was crazy. You know, even the, the, the pros, you know, you kind of get quote unquote calloused towards the ring after the reps and after numerous days. And if, if uh, an injury occurs and you have some time off and have to come back, you have to get reacclimated to that. Your body has to get kind of ring calloused, if you will, again. Yep. And as you know, I referenced it last week. I did a, a, a local play here in Pittsburgh, uh, the elaborate ch- entrance of Chad Deity that's a satire on pro wrestling. And on the stage, there was a, a pro wrestling ring and we kind of had matches and I took bumps. And the show ran for two weeks. You know, I think I did eight performances. And by the end of that, you know, my older ass, you know, I, you, I could tell you I was definitely feeling it. And, and just to go full circle, yeah, Lawrence Taylor famously uh, talked about it afterwards, his match with Bam Bam at uh, WrestleMania 11. He had a whole new respect for professional wrestlers, but pulled off a great match. And, and in turn with what we're talking about with the celebrities, because I had to shout this out, because again, just, uh, just kind of finishing it, it's fresh in my head. And it just always has me cracking up. And this is one that my, uh, our friends and I just always loved with the celebrities was Pete Rose would come and do run-ins and he would always get taken out. <laughs> he would always get taken out by Kane <laughs> and he would just be the ultimate heel. And he'd be like, Philadelphia, the city of losers. How about, How it? about it? And just take a full blown <laughs> tombstone, which of course, if you do it safe, there's no big deal. For but like it's hilarious. three years yeah, running. So reliving <laughs> that was great. And that's the thing. WrestleMania is about moments and that's what it was. You know, it goes all the way up to, to telling, you know, up to the story of Stone Cold's, last match at WrestleMania 19 and, and Shawn Michaels return ironically at WrestleMania 19 after um, taking himself out of competition for years because of a serious back injury. So, you know, everything goes into it. And again, I just surmise it by saying it, it was a good place to start this year with the road to WrestleMania and talking mania uh, leading into the big show this year. It was just a good breakdown of the entire history with this documentary, the true story of WrestleMania, but you know, like, like you said, kind of a mixed bag, some definite flaws, but, um, the, the beginning and, and varying aspects of it 
are really good and really entertaining. And I think the the good outweighs the bad overall, but there, you know, is definitely a slowdown portion of the end into the, you know, the final moments. Yeah. I mean, I think the best way that I could put this is like, if you're somebody that falls in the category of being the J where you're a major wrestling fan, this is not really required viewing for you at all. You probably know it all already. However, the first part of it will be something you might enjoy. Um, but however, this is really good, though, for people, if you're not familiar with the history of WrestleMania, maybe you haven't been a wrestling fan for super long. Now's the time to watch yeah, something very entertaining like this and kind you. of get the gist of it. Yep. Good call. Absolutely. So we are going to take another commercial break. And uh, of course, this week we are taking. Oh, shit. Final. I got to check in on the general, dude. I think, I no, think it's been a breach over here. The J. Yeah. Just heal him with that hand thing I taught you. All right. Just. Just try it. Got him, hey, Fuck. More mugs. I'll be back right. again. I'm, Let's, I'm coming. I'll be right out. So, all right, guys, we'll be back right after this. Uh, Thursday Night Prime, Red Sun Rising 1994. As soon as we come back, if we come back, you know what? Fuck it. We're definitely coming back right after this on the What's Real Podcast. This is Ed for the What's Real Podcast, telling you about the IWC Wrestling's Superstar Showdown 2, Saturday, April 30th, at the Ross Draver Ice Gardens in Belvern, in Pennsylvania, featuring an appearance by the Hardy Boys, Matt and Jeff Hardy in action, and Dirty Dango, formerly known as WWE's Fondango. All that and much more Saturday, April 30th, bell time at 7 p.m. It is the IWC International Wrestling Cartel Superstar Showdown 2. It's time for Thursday Night of Prime. And we're back, the J. We are back, and it is that time once again for some Thursday night practice. Feeling good this week, hey, and I so, the J kicked some ass. Thank you for teaching me some maneuvers. Uh, I survived yeah, no scars, not too bad of bleeding, and I took out four ninjas this week, so it wasn't bad. I talked to uh, you know our boy Nuck, as we introduced last uh, week, yeah, the general. So you know there was a breach, but only a few guys got through, and I took care of them, so we're good. And also, too, did you meet uh, the other new guy? Uh, it's uh, Ron the Wagon Dilson. Oh, the wagon, yeah. Yeah, the, the wagon's a bad He's motherfucker, hilarious. man. Gaseous, so but hilarious. Yeah, I mean, that's, well, I mean, I think that's it why Smells like a damn sewer. To me, personally. I mean, not everybody else finds that funny, but I do. But uh, today, on Thursday Night Prime, we're going to travel back to 1994, a year that seems like we've talked about a lot on this episode for some reason already. <laughs> Uh, this is directed by Francis McGahey. It is Red Sun Rising. So Thomas Hoshino, played by Don the Dragon Wilson, is a tough Japanese detective who lost his partner by a deadly Yakuza killer, Jeho. He tracks down the killer and his master to Los Angeles, where he teams up with Detective Karen Ryder. Soon, they discover the Yakuza prepares a gang war and weapon smuggling. Hoshino must find a way to defeat the killer, who possesses mystical ninja powers and admittedly i'm not gonna lie so a couple minutes into this movie i'm like fuck we made a mistake (laughs) we shouldn't have picked this one Uh, but then i started to realize i've seen this before this was definitely a thursday night prime original for sure in 94 
Um, you, the one thing that's most surprising to me about this one, at least just on general, you know, general watching, a pretty decent cast. Don Wilson is, of course, the dragon himself. Uh, Terry Farrell did pretty decent as Karen Ryder, yeah, the detective, his main partner. Uh, Michael Ironside is the captain. As soon as I seen Ironside, I'm like, all right, dude, we're yeah, good. the cast is good. Uh, Declan, played by Eddie Albert. Uh, James Lou's in this as well. Uh, pretty decent all around. Like, you gotta shout out my main man, Hayad. Who's that? You know, my me and my Conan. Shout him out. <laughs> our, our other dead silence, Mako. Our man, Mako. Oh Christ! Between the lands of Arius. And and I have to say uh, one thing in this movie that kind of got me, and it was like uh, I felt like I had seen an old friend. You know what I mean? And that is the character of Gamal, played by Stoney Jackson. Stoney, the yeah. dude who in 1994 was in every, every movie. fucking movie that you watched, man. And he has some of the greatest dialogue in this one, too. Um, but, you know, dude, so what I was expecting from this basically was our typical fucking bad fights. You know, I figured we'd see some cool Don the Dragon Wilson stuff. But I was actually kind of surprised at what this one was. When I started seeing the whole magic ninja element, I was like rolling my eyes. But as the movie went on, I'm like, okay, you know, I kind of get this. But dude, there is one glaringly big thing about this movie that like with all the, like, I do like the movie and there was a lot of good stuff in it. But man, it would be like every so often the movie has to bring you back down to earth with some and I'm not saying subtle, some overt kick you in the fucking nuts racism. Yeah. It's like, dude, it just doesn't stop in this thing. Like, it's ridiculous. And it's not just one side, like, because there's a gang war. There's, you know, this is also a movie written in 1994 by a screenwriter that th thought gang names were stuff like the Iceman. Yeah. Um, the the, the so purple and black. Hilarious. Yeah, it, there's a lot of weird shit in this one with that kind of stuff. And especially, too, one of the, my favorite things in this that had me dying. So the, the Stoney Jackson character, you know, the actor that plays the character, Gamal. Right. Uh, so at one point, he's, he's heist, heavily involved with the Iceman, and he has, like, a fucking hot rod. And it's like there's a scene where something's going on, and he's, like, jumping to his car to get the fuck out of Dodge. And when he gets into his car, his his license plate says Iceman. And I'm like, <laughs> gang members were never real big into advertising. I mean, maybe they wore certain colors and shit, but it's not like they wore shirts that said the Crips. And, I, and, like, and like we say, the screenwriters thought that was so like creative. Like, you know what? They were really like modernized with this. Like, we're bringing this into the 90s, you know? Of I course, mean? the screenwriter's like, name is Robert Easter. Like, like yeah, the holiday. <laughs> exactly. So I don't exactly think he's somebody that knows anything about street gangs at all. Um, but, dude, what you actually get here is kind of like a buddy cop movie where not only do the, the, the characters go from not getting along to working well as a team to becoming love interests. Yeah, becoming lovers. To, like, yeah, like it, a and, lot and of that's what's funny too. Hey, Ed, that's where a lot of the initial racism came from because, like, John Don the yes, Dragon hates Americans and she hates like yes. him as an Asian or whatever. Uh, yeah, and it's like she was, and then it's like you get the <laughs> when it's like at one point in the movie, he's like, 
what do you have against the Japanese? And she's like, oh, you want to know what I have against the Japanese? You want to know what? I, I'll tell you what I have against the Japanese. You know, I drive this Cadillac because it's a beautiful car and we can't do things like this anymore because of your people making cars in Japan. <laughs> and I'm like, and then it's like, what? And then you find out later, she's like, I never told you this, but my dad is from, we're from Michigan in Detroit specifically. And my dad used to work on the GM line building cars yeah. and he he was out of a job because of and Don, Japanese car. Yeah, Don the Dragon just gives her the people's eyebrow. <laughs> and, the, and then the Japanese peanut <laughs> yeah. seems to work. Yeah. But dude, it, that shit had me dying. But like the weird thing about it is as goofy as this shit sounds, I couldn't get over how fucking entertaining it was. It was like, good. I, was I said this is a good Thursday this. Night Prime. Yeah, <laughs> it's good action. You know, Don, it even says in the opening credits, choreographer of fighting. Don the Dragon Wilson, you know, so they had to emphasize that. But hey, if you're if you're gonna do a film like this and you have Don the Dragon, of course, make him the the lead stunt coordinator Dude. and fight choreographer. And I'm just gonna say something right now. And this, I know this is gonna be sacrilege to a lot of like action movie aficionados, and I don't give a fuck. How many times in recent weeks when we've, or not even just recent Thursday Night Primes, I should say. Did I tell you, I was like, dude, Chuck Norris is the least charismatic fucking action star I've ever seen. I think Don the Dragon Wilson has considerably more than Norris does. And I'll tell you why. So there's a scene in this movie where there's the mulatos. It's the Mexican gang. And yeah, the Mexicanos. He's, he's like, I'm going to go handle this. And she's like, no, don't go. You're just going to mess it up. So he walks over there by himself. And like... One of the dudes is like, yo, motherfucker, what are you doing? Pulls a gun out on him. He does the tr the kung fu trickery where he fucking grabs him by the wrist, ends up taking the gun, and he fucking points it to the leader of the gang who has the, the love interest, okay? And, and they're all the gang members are pointing guns at him. And he he's like, you know, looking around, and he doesn't know what to do. And he's like, what you going to do, Holmes? And it's like, we all got guns on you. And then he points the gun right at the dude, the leader of the gang. And then he just pulls the gun down like, I'm going to shoot you in the dick. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, whoa, that's it. And it's like, hey, Holmes, calm down. Yeah. Well, you know what the like, other thing about it is with Don? Famous, most famously uh, known for doing this would be Steven Seagal with the facial expressions. But Don, Don oh, the yeah. Dragon has the 90s action movie facial expressions down. And and like always, I have to point out with when we recreated our version of a Thursday Night Prime ring heat, that that was like my version of trying to do like the, I remember rewatching it not too long ago and I was trying to do that. Like we, we got that from imitating <laughs> all this shit, you know, I was making these Definitely. stupid faces I'd never make from watching shit like this, but I was noticing that so much with <laughs> Don the Dragon and this, just those goofy faces that I try to describe on a fucking podcast, but hilarious nonetheless and dude i was like a couple minutes into this movie i thought terry farrell was terrible like, except how hot awful. she is but yeah well of course but like but dude she's actually funny in this she does a pretty good job she's like a perfect sidekick uh you know you have the whole they got to add in the whole like i guess that's kind of what i liked is like this wasn't just a typical fucking action movie like they added the magical the villain is like this ninja shaman well, dude, who can literally you can't shoot him 
You like he can literally like fuck you with his clothes on. He could fucking like you know you're not gonna beat him up. You and it's like Don the Dragon Wilson has the I guess his sensei ish. Yeah, they don't really. That's get Mako uh, Bontoro Iga. Yes, but he's like you know I gotta I gotta teach you how to do this. Like you can learn how to heal people with your hands. And there's one scene that's amazing in this where he's like, "Do the punch without hitting me," and he's like, "How am I supposed to hit you without touching you?" And then he does this thing where he like swirls his hands around for a little bit. And then when he hits him, he like falls 15 feet back into a pool. Yeah. And like, so they go through the whole shtick of like him trying to learn everything. And he's going to need to learn this stuff to beat this fucking magical ninja. And you get the face off and you get all the, again, the J, you know, the qualifications you just need. If you're telling me you're this and you're showing me this will just be this. You're setting it up. To have the villain be some crazy motherfucker that nobody could do anything against the entire movie. And you're going to have Don Dragon Wilson go on this fucking spiritual journey that's going to lead him to fighting the big boss in the end and winning. That's what this movie's supposed to be. You should know that before you even watch yeah, it. And, at least, and this movie does all that as well as you could pretty much expect. Yeah, at least be coherent with your storytelling, which they are here. Like you said, with the mysticism, that's the whole climax with Terry Farrell's character, Karen Ryder, where you think she's dead and that fools the villain, like leaves him vulnerable. She really didn't because like he got taught the mysticism to make it look like she was dead, bring her back to life and all that. So yeah, at least, at least be coherent. And that's what this was. Yeah, I was, it's weird, man, because I just, this was just way off base from what I thought it was. And I do remember watching this originally on HBO at some point, and I remember liking it. And of course, you got to add this in too. See, it's pretty clear, I think, when you watch enough Don the Dragon Wilson that you realize that probably Bruce Lee was one of his heroes. Oh, def okay? definitely. And there's always that scene in a Don the Dragon Wilson movie where he runs into a scene fighting with the goofiest, like, oversized t-shirt and then rips you it hear off. it's like some somebody's like yeah. and then he rips the rest of it off and then it's like you get the his bruce lee homage type look where he just kicks the shit out of everybody <laughs> yeah so but you know ultimately this one definitely is a pretty cool flick i definitely recommend it uh it is on amazon prime too if you guys would like to check it out uh out of curiosity the jay for red sun rising do you have any fucking taglines for of course us? we do hey and don the dragon wilson and red sun rising japan's toughest cop is in la to track down the yakuza's deadliest killer all right so and as we do here on the show we have a five-star rating scale and from me red sun rising gets three stars i was thinking we we're gonna concur hey Ed, three stars even i'm right with you all right so I hope you guys have enjoyed this initial run of, uh, you know, not initial run, but this, you know, most recent run of Thursday Night Prime. We are going back on hiatus for the month of April where we will be bringing back the movies that made us. So uh, something a little bit different. Don't worry. Uh, you know, Thursday Night Prime is not going anywhere. We're just taking a little bit of break again as we do from time to time. It will definitely be back. We promise you that. But uh, looking forward to doing some more of these down the line. And it's always fun to do the movies that made us as well. So we're up against our last commercial break, guys. And whenever we come back, we're going to wrap up the show. The Jay is going to take us to the majestic waterfall of goofs. And we're going to head on out this door. So hang tight, guys. We'll be back right after this on the What's Real Podcast. Hey everyone, this is The Jay with the What's Real Podcast, here today to talk about Altius Restaurant, Elevated Cuisine, elevating the Pittsburgh dining experience. 
Rated four diamond by AAA, Altius, the second restaurant concept from B to Francis and chef Jessica Bauer has quickly risen in ranks as one of the top restaurants in Pittsburgh and Western Pennsylvania. Their first restaurant, Bistro 19, a local favorite in Mount Lebanon, opened in 2006 and continues to enjoy great success. As the Pittsburgh dining scene began to prosper, they felt it was the perfect opportunity to provide the city with a new restaurant that not only offered unparalleled views, but also a truly elevated dining experience. Check us out today at altiuspgh.com. That's altiuspgh.com. Or give us a call at 412-904-4442. Altius Elevated Cuisine. Ha! This is Timothy James with the What's Real Podcast, welcoming you to Goose Our Goose. And we're back. And the J, what do we got this week on the Goof Run? Taking it in, hey, yeah, the waterfall of Goose, Hakuna Matata. We're at a beautiful sunset here at dusk from the What's Real Studios and on the precipice of the infamous and famous all-in-one Goose or Goose. And it's the triple one version of Goose or Goose. And we have our usual stuff of fights, uh, Goose or Goose mascots, uh, viral videos, and a a shout out here. I wanted to see if you saw the follow-up. It'd be pretty cool. And so let's let's get started with off the bat. Again, speaking of unofficial Goose or Goose mascots, we're starting off with one that's just been a uh, trend here on the show. So figured we'd just go along with it. Hey, Ed, as we do to have a little uh, connection from varying episodes each week. And that is our man, our personal friend that we discuss all the time. He's in the news a lot nowadays. And that's our boy, Pete Davidson. Hey, and we did a story where your boy, Pete, Davidson. <laughs> we did a story where Pete was going to go up with the man we call the human dildo on the blue origin into space. And it has been announced that Pete Davidson will no longer be going to space. I am sad. Hey, y'all. Eh, I mean, I kind of wish they'd shoot him into space, but like, I don't really care. You know? <laughs> and it's, it's the Doesn't matter. Worst, worst reason ever. They, they changed the date of the launch. So once the launch date got pushed, Pete has a lot of movies and and varying things going on. So a source with direct knowledge tells TMZ that Pete was unable to accommodate the new launch date with his schedule and that there's no bad blood between Davidson and the human dildo. Oh, okay. I was going to say, fucking, he's going to start beefing with Davidson too. Like fucking Bezos puts out a diss track. (laughs) Yeah. Could you imagine him rapping? (laughs) No. (laughs) <laughs> I can't imagine him living, let alone rapping. Uh, did you see the most recent viral video? It's it's one of the best. So we have our viral videos here on Goose or Goose. Uh, we like a lot of street fights and especially professional wrestling <laughs> moves that are done in street fights. Uh, there's a new one going around that a dude attacks a guy in the street and the dude that's getting attacked proceeds to do a new homemade professional wrestling finisher Right on the street, which I told Hey Ed should be called the Death Nail, but he basically just picks the dude up, drops him on his head, and the dude just remains lifeless as mugs around just look with weird faces. Is that the one? That's okay. No, 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 no. See, I, I okay. I, w- I wasn't sure if this is the one you were talking about or not, uh, but you are. Um, this isn't a fight in the street. This is a dude getting pulled out of a taco. Oh, my bad. The taco bell with an yeah, employee yeah, outside. He proceeds to run at the dude and swing while getting lifted up off his feet, dumped on his head. And it looks like his soul left his body. <laughs> yeah. um, and, you know, I mean, let's be honest. Sometimes you have to fist fight somebody for some mild sauce. But, dude, like, you know, now, now you're in a coma. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things when when you're in the streets, you got to make 
the right decision. You know, when you're going up against people, it, you don't wait know. You know, but I, I don't know this, so I, I would just want to clarify: is being in a Taco Bell considered out in these streets or no? In 2022, I would say. I don't know. Shit get live in Taco Bells, like you know what I mean? Like, I mean, I've dude, I've had shell games presented to me in Foot Lockers before, so it's not like that would be something that I couldn't fathom, but I've never encountered. Yeah. Well, and you're right too. I had a terrible description. I apologize to my peeps, as we used to do. I'll put it on the background here. Slam inside the Taco Bell by the Taco Bell employee. I had the, the one in the streets pulled up, but uh, I, I named it the Death Nail. Hey, what would you name this man's finisher? The Taco Bell employee from Swensea, Louisiana. Hmm. The the soft taco supreme. <laughs> yeah. And and that, that <laughs> dude's entire body was soft after landing on his neck. So and that slam was supreme. Ladies and gentlemen, our viral video of the week, another person getting slammed unconscious in the streets, in these streets. Yeah, we love violence here on the Or show. in front of the uh, the Taco Bell ordering area. <laughs> That's, yeah, it's, I mean, I, I personally, I wish I could see just unbridled violence every time I go in a Taco Bell, but, you know, I don't rule the Some world. dude's like, all I wanted was a chalupa, man. My, like, motherfucker's dude, I, dead, a- I think. There, there's a meme that I enjoy. It's just, it's from a fucking gang show that was on the History Channel, and it's just a dude in a red hoodie, and it's pulled super tight, and he has a red bandana off on his face, and all it says at the bottom is, "I thrive on negative." <laughs> That's great. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, it's like the dude, the dude since he works at Taco Bell, he just goes back behind the counter. The dude I was talking about gets his chalupa, and he's like, "I put that dude's soul in there for you, bro. Enjoy." Dude, I seen another video too where like some dude fucking was pissed off in a restaurant and decides he's going to go in the back and confront the chef or the cook. And what he has is like 19 dudes being like, motherfucker, if you don't get out of here, I'm going to whoop your fucking ass. And it's like, and I don't know how much you know about this, but it's safe to say that most kitchens that people visit um, are packed with felons. Just so exactly. you know. I don't know how many people Like I said, you have to have are. knowledge in the streets, man. Can't just be throwing your shit around like an idiot. You're going to be unconscious. You definitely do. Like we say, hey, Ed, Agreed. there's no there's no good story that comes at the end of that. It's either a hospital, a morgue, or a police station in these situations. It's true. As they say in the French Alps. Anywho, to, back, to, back to our mascots here on Goose or Goose. And don't worry, peeps. We are in the witching hour. So we're going to be wrapping up. If you're still listening, we love you because this is a, a chore for the J. My ribs hurt just from watching that dude get his soul slammed. But our boy Jake Paul uh. is trying to promote yet another fight. And again, our, our main man, I, you're going to uh, off the show, tell me not to bring this dude up anymore. But Pete Davidson is back. Hey, and I apologize. I didn't realize twice he was one of the, in twice in a segment because Jake Paul is Jesus serious Christ. about yay versus Pete. And the fight offer is still beefing up for the kids. Yeah, I, I don't want to see that under any sort like. I'd rather see them fight each other at a bar somewhere. Like, I don't want to see these dudes with gloves punching each other. That's fucking stupid. I personally spoke to the problem child himself this week. As you know, my rapport with him. I mean, it's only on Twitter, but still. I'm kind of sick of them going back and forth to Jay, he said. I think it's affecting the kids' lives like Kanye and Kim's kids. They're going to be the ones that take the most trauma from this. So he's going to offer $60 million to get them to take their beef to the boxing ring. And no, this is not in all caps, N-O-T, a publicity stunt. Hey, yo. Ladies and gentlemen, Jake Paul 
family counselor. <laughs> and with that, that goes into the news. And we are for, full circle on the show as Goose or Goose. Last week, we had Mike's Bites, Mike Tyson's ear edibles. <laughs> and Mike Tyson's back on. What up, Mike? What's up, man? Mike wants $1 billion to fight Jake Paul. As he says, I ain't got no fucking money. So he needs $1 billion to fight Jake Paul and he's down. Hey, y'all. You know, I was going to go get a job, but I was like, I need a billion dollars. Hey, but you know, our boy Iron Mike could do shit like that as the 55 year old made the comments on his hot boxing podcast this week when his conversation with boxer Jermello Charlo and Boston Celtics legend Paul Pierce turned into a rumored fight against Jake. He said, nobody told me that. Hey, I ain't got no fucking money. So where's the fucking contract? I never heard from nobody. I've just heard from you guys. And he said he'd do it for a billion. Yeah, so just to let everybody know who's unfamiliar with this podcast, he was definitely higher than fucking fucking the clouds. Yeah, he's okay, higher that, than Mars. That's not what I was going to say, but I, I cleaned that up. <laughs> yeah, good um, job on the spot yeah. there, A.E.L. Yeah, uh, trust me, you're lucky that I'm even standing here right now, let alone being able to censor myself properly. Last, We're well into the witching. Yeah, game. next, uh, just two two quick ones. Hey, Ed, we'll run it by you. Uh, more fights. This was like a, a violent episode, but the Jays in a fight mood. I just beat up four ninjas, which you, can you say here on the triple one? It's true. Uh, TMZ Sports has obtained video showing Colby Covington of USC fame just moments after he allegedly fought with Jorge Masvidal outside of a Miami hotspot. And you can see the USC star was surrounded by cops. Uh, he would go on to say that he was punched twice by Masvidal, uh, breaking one of his teeth. And especially, I mean, they're, of course, on Goose or Goose for numerous reasons because of this. But I say to you, hey, Ed, they just fought in a UFC main event and got paid millions. And they fight outside of a Miami steakhouse. Goose or Goose with these two. Yeah, they don't understand what it means to actually be a prize fighter. Like, it means you only fight when there's a prize on the line. And your pride is not a fucking prize. Yeah, but Masvidal was, I guess, amped up to begin with because his steak wasn't cooked properly and that was never remedied. And he ran into Covington and it escalated from there. Dude, you know, (laughs) seeing shit like this just is a further reminder of me of like when we're old men and we see fighters that we remember, like, it's going to be bad. Oh, God. Like, real bad. And it's like, how, how bad can you feel with their decisions? You know, I mean, it is what it is. I'm not a huge fan of the sport to begin with, but like some of these dudes are going to be so fucked up that it's like, you're not even going to want to see them. It's a shame. And I'm not making fun of that. It is what it is. Spade is not going to be good. Next and last up here on goose or goose. One, one, one is one of our legends an icon here on the what's real podcast. It is legendary skateboarder, Tony Hawk as he's skating again. And why would that be news, hey, Ed? Because he's skating again two weeks. Yes, ladies and germs hearing me right now, only two weeks after breaking his femur. And I don't know if you saw that video of when he broke his leg in half. I felt no, he's... No, I'm not watching Yeah, that. it's terrible, and he's 53, but Tony Hawk's superhuman, and it's the motherfucking Birdman, and he's back skating already after breaking his femur merely two weeks ago. I mean, dude, it has to be one of them things like, you know, obviously I love skateboarding. He's done it his entire life. He's very well off. And it's like, you know, the fuck you want to skate? You want to fucking skate like you have money. It's not like you're going to starve to death if you can't skate anymore. Like, I think he's 
kind of retired anyway. I mean, he's f- so he doesn't compete. Yeah, 53 years old. He posted footage of the incredible feat on social media, showing him skating away from the exact spot on a ramp that he smashed his femur on just two weeks before. You know, probably showing you know the ramp what's up. You don't fuck with the bird, man. This is right where I slammed, right here, Hawk said before jumping on his board. This is where I discovered my leg was broken exactly two weeks ago. I'm now going to skate away from this area. And he's just like a Simpsons, like, just skates away. Dude, oddly enough, I don't know if you know this or not. It just kind of shows you too, because I mean, you said his age, but Tony Hawk has an adult son who is a professional skateboarder. Yeah, so he's probably like 30. You know, I mean, yeah, I mean, dude, and that's the thing. Like, if you're going to come up, unders like you know like if your dad's gonna be anyone in that shit it's like hawks about as good as it gets because like you were probably born with fucking ramps oh is that dude they, kind of, they like, access to everything. i've seen footage of his younger daughter his youngest daughter she's a beast so i mean there you go uh yeah. hawk went on to say i'm not defying doctor's odds by skating like this but i realize i might not be able to 100 percent trick slash power capacity by uh, any recent time but i have a lot of grit and many 80s tricks as a backup yeah the easier shit i definitely like that was the kind of shit that like when i was skating that like i could do all that shit like the goofy like jumping on it and fuck like pogo and your fucking board like i could all that shit is it's like once you figure out the trick to do it it's super easy to do other stuff though it's like it it's the same way but you're fucking just gonna get hurt a hundred times before you figure out it's like we always say we see some dude do a 980 and they make it look easy and they're like i think i could do that well Dude, I'm not even talking about a god to anything on a fucking ramp. Like, try and do a kickflip. I used to be able to do those. I wouldn't even think of trying to do that right now because I will break my back, my leg, my ankle, and my ass even trying to do it. And I used to be able to do it almost every time I tried. To wrap up the segment, hey, Ed, the leg injury Hawk suffered back on March 7th was so bad, he initially wondered if he'd ever walk again unassisted. But he made such good promise and... Uh, progress and promised he'd keep pushing even if he does eventually run into a roadblock ending his caption by writing as only tony hawk could say so ironically until the wheels fall off and as i say to my brutus from another modutus between pete davidson and the human dildo not collaborating to jake paul and all his antics being a family counselor between davidson and kanye to mike tyson needing a billion dollars to Colby versus Mastodal fighting for free in front of a Miami steakhouse, to a dude getting his soul slammed out of his body, and to the man himself, the bird man, coming back, skating two weeks after a broken femur. Tony Hawk, you the man. And goofs are goofs. So we're almost out of here for this week. Before before we do that, if you guys are listening on iTunes, please give us a five-star review. Helps out the show, get more eyes and ears on the program. And again, you can listen on all your favorite podcasting platforms each and every week, such as Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Google Podcasts, and ChurchillPictures.com. But before we get out of here, I hear the J revving it up. So the J, take it away. Revving it up like Tony Hawk's repaired femur. Hate you but a great one, man. We're at the 111. Can't believe it. The triple Uno. Been a great show. I mean, we struggled. We'll admit that. But we, we hope you're entertained. That's what we do here on the What's Real podcast. And, and the Jay is famished and lightheaded as we're here in the witching hour. But as I do, got to shout my shout outs. Love the show. Shout out to the wizard behind the boards, the man himself, our producer, Cam. Loving that 16K style sound week to week, Cam. And love you. Hey, Ed, my brother. 
we've been getting through it, man. We had a great time. Love escaping into our world. And whoever's hearing us, I hope you guys do too. It's a hell of a journey. We hope we're all having fun here. As I say, leading the charge like some random general from the movie Dances with Wolves. Stay safe. Stay healthy. You'll hear the J next week. So that is about it for us this week here on episode 111. Don't forget to join us next week for episode 112 and beyond. Of course, to our producer, Cam, thanks for all the hard work you put into the show, brother. We all know here that nobody beats the Wiz. And the J, clank, clank, clank brother. Clank. Another successful tag team championship title defense. We will be locked, ready, and loaded next week for episode 112. So stay tuned for that, guys. Have a great week. Stay safe. Stay healthy, and we'll see you here next week on the What's Real Podcast. Go Ukraine.